Introducing it, or are you? You know for a fact that I pressed record. I was trying to do like a really cute sort of ad hoc beginning to commemorate our 100th episode of Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast ever. Yeah, that's that's what happens when you reach 100 episodes is you just become the only one. Yeah, ever. But then as soon as the next podcast out there receives or gets to its hundredth episode then we go on yeah and that's fine we've had a good run and considering there's probably like a million podcasts out there it's probably going to happen mid-episode for us (laughs) that'd be pretty (laughs) funny it's just gonna stop that doesn't sound too bad i'm gonna be honest um the way that my brain is going this week i think i that's probably the best for everyone is just to pull me off the stage with a cane. I said to you, I think it was last week or the week before, I just want to go to sleep and wake up when everything's better. I know. And you were like, are you okay? Are you doing all right? And it's <laughs> like, are you feeling that now? Like, would you would you like to just go to sleep until everything sorts itself out? And then if it does. <laughs> Honestly, even when things are good, I just want to go to sleep all the time. So I don't know what that says about me as a person, but it would be nice to have a bit of... um. Sleep. <laughs> no, I've had too much of that just, lately. Just a little kip. No, just have a bit of, like, perspective on what life is going to be like in, like, a week, two weeks, a mm. month, six months, a year, two yeah. years, five years, if we're still here. Like, in addition to this being our 100th episode, it is also our 200, 200th day in lockdown in Melbourne. Jeez. Not consecutively, obviously, no. but cumulatively we have spent 200 days inside and that does not feel like something I would have ever imagined for us. No. Pretty much ever. <laughs> no. And it's this really crap place that we're in at the moment where it just feels like it's just, it's, it's just in with, within reachable grasp. But we keep just doing silly things like having engagement parties and getting the numbers back up to around about 20. And the the Victorian government has to go, well, we can't open things up with those numbers. Mm -hmm. Understandably so. And so it just, it just feels like it's, it's, this is, this is worse, not worse than when we were getting 700 cases a day, but it's, it's just that that deflating level of I'm sick of this and this just feels like it's going to go on forever because we just have those people that are like, oh yeah, I've got it, but I'm going to, well, you can't, like, you can't go out if you've got quarantine, if you're in quarantine, but like, oh yeah, I'm feeling a bit fluey, but I'm still going to go out and like yeah. celebrate my friend's party or something like that. Like it just feels like, just feels like it's just, it's right there, but we just can't get there. Yep. Um, shit is fucked. But would you say nothing's fine and you're torn? Ha. I feel like this is where you should put in the intro song. <laughs> intro song here. All right. I, I I'm in my recording shorts. Yes. So all is good in my world. It is even though like the living room's not typically the hot room in the house, I'm somehow hot. <laughs> Me too. Uh 
And I, the air conditioner's probably a bit too warm, it, uh, a bit too loud. It doesn't help that I had a glass of wine, so I've just got wine sweats. Um, yeah, I've got a beer next to me and I'm probably not opening it. Yeah, that's a smart move. I just, I cannot have a drink, one drink anymore without just either having sweats or tum trobs. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's what's going on, as Natalie and Brulia would say, and a heap of other people, as we will discover yeah, this you, week. You don't seem to know or care ha. about what Natalie has to say. So, yes, this week's song, Torn, performed by Natalie and Brulia, but not originally done by Natalie and Brulia, no. as we will find, as covered by Hands Like Houses for Punk Goes 90s Volume 2, and yes, stick it, it's probably like the last... There'll be another hour onto the show because we interview. I said that really weird. Interview. We interview. Uh, Hands like houses. Frontman Trenton Woodley to yeah. talk about the song. Yeah, this is an extra special celebration episode for us. Yeah. Um, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, and he was, and he was so excited to be on our one hundredth episode. I think he, I think he was pretty happy to be on our one hundredth episode. I'd like to think that that wasn't our selling point to him. Like, hello, it's going to be our hundredth yeah. episode. Please come on our podcast. But we, um, like the next time we have a guest, do we have to announce this is going to be our one hundred and twenty third episode? No, one hundred twenty third point five episode. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, thank you so so yes. so much to Trenton. It was a delight talking to him, as one would expect. Um. A, a, a truly, uh, yeah, just genuine and, and delightful person to get to know. And, and just so fascinating. Like, yeah. you guys will hear yeah. it for yourselves. Obviously, I can't give you a time code now to skip to if you really hate us that much, you turds. It's, well, um, it's about an hour, and we're going to put it at the end. Yeah, so. true. Just, yeah, figure that one out. But so, um, so unless you are part of Fearless Records or one of the bands who have done one of these compilations and listening to this podcast, um, you might be interested to see how the process goes. It, it was really, it was kind of surreal hearing how the sausage is made. Yeah. Like, it, it isn't that groundbreaking, but no. it still feels like, ah, I did not realise that's how the gears turned yeah. at Fearless HQ, Punk Goes HQ. Yeah. Um, Found out there wasn't someone called Jim Fearless. I know, anymore. that was disappointing. Um, but I think like my other favorite thing was just at one point, like Trenton just does like some example vocals and just off the bat, he's fucking perfect. Oh yeah. yeah. And I just wanted to weep because it was so good. And also it's just like, what have I done with my life? (laughs) Um, so yeah, again, thank you, Trenton. Um, hopefully any hands like houses fans who I imagine have specifically tuned in to listen to this as I would too, if I were in your position, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Just a special treat for you guys. Buy some of their activewear. Yes, um, that is also sick. At, like, I'm usually inclined to buy activewear, but because I haven't been active lately, um, but still, I think I'm going to purchase some Hands Like Houses activewear to convince me to get out of the house. I always talk about, like, things that I want, like, Punko's Pod merch. yeah. And I want like a Punkos Pod headband, <laughs> like one of those um yeah yeah like what, elasticy what a, sort of Terry toweling yeah like what yeah. a what a what a well what Sam at sixteen wore when he played basketball 
I had one. I wore a headband because I thought I looked sick. I think we need visors. Those were... <laughs> I definitely had a Roxy visor because Roxy was the brand to wear. I... And Sorry. It was a bright red visor that I literally paid some stupid amount of money just to advertise Roxy, Roxy. for everyone else. Yep. And I definitely did the thing of like, I'm going to wear this upside down and to like a 45 degree angle because I'm funny. Like that's the only way you should wear a visor because if you're wearing a visor... You're already a tool. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like, why not have, you know, the top of the hat be your hair? Uh, Yeah, that it's like the least sun safe. Well, not the least. I guess the least is just like standing naked in the sun and just (laughs) roasting. Um, Buttering yourself up. <laughs> lightly seasoned with salt and pepper and some herbs. Um, I'm just imagining, like, like the look of, like, the spiked blonde hair coming through the visor. Oh, and it's like, did Dexter Holland from The Offspring ever wear a visor? I feel like he did, but I... I feel like he didn't. Uh, see, yeah. I feel like he knew not... <laughs> To wear a visor. <laughs> he, yeah, he was definitely, like, streets ahead of the rest of us in terms of, like, researching, like, vaccines and He's stuff. He's a virologist. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. But that's the thing, is, like, he was a lot more clued into life than the rest of us idiots were. His research from at uni was, he was, re- and I think he went to uni at, like, a later age as well, so mm. it's like, was he ever in a group a group project with someone that was a huge Offspring fan. Like, but like... <laughs> that would be so funny, like, trying to keep your cool in a group assignment with, yeah. like, the front man of your favourite band. Just like, what the fuck? And what, what have you got to do with uh, with those cells and ions? you got to keep them separated. Ah. But, like, uh, he, he studied at uni, like, his field was, I think, HIV. So it was like, I said to you, like, could you imagine if... In, like, 10 years' time, HIV is cured. And it's, like, people who cured HIV and Dexter Holland from The Offspring is one of those people. It feels like he's certainly poised to be, like, the next Dolly Parton. Yeah. In terms of, like, I know Dolly didn't rock up to a lab with, like, a coat and beakers and stuff. But, like, she funded heaps of vaccine research. And then, like, the mRNA tech that vaccines for COVID use has been developed through years of research into, like, HIV prevention, that kind of thing. And I think they're starting to trial HIV vaccines. Yeah. So, like, I am waiting for the day, like, similar to, like, the day that I woke up and saw, like, the US government has declassified, like, UFO things and Tom DeLonge, former rock band man. um, I'm looking forward to the day that we see, like, Dexter Holland, like, band frontman and hot sauce enthusiast and also vaccine developer. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the hot... Like, I have all the respect in the world for Dexter Holland. In fact, I kind of want to make a theory... Sure. ...that he is Guy Fieri. <laughs> it's like, have we ever seen the two of them in a room together? This is true. <laughs> I could imagine Guy Fieri as the lead singer of The Offspring. That would be pretty sick. Do you think Guy Fieri listens to Scar? Oh, absolutely. 110%. Yeah. Because... Because it would have led to, like, he would have gone from rock and roll to rockabilly to eventually Scar. Yeah. He 100% listens to Scar. And I, I reckon like... he 100% listens to The Offspring. Sorry. Yeah, that's... Well, surely they've got to be, like, best friends. How could they not? Well, I would like to think that, because, like... 
Guy was pretty... Like, he's not like a... He's not a truther. He's not an anti-vaxxer. And, like, he was like, well, shit's locking down. I need to help the restaurant yeah. industry. And, like, I... I I wonder if he was, like, saddened to hear about Steve Harwell. True. In, like, their silly Sturgis motorcycle rally. <laughs> and, like, yeah, like, Dexter Holland could come around and be like, we can spike and bleach our hair together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it's okay. Like, I'm still here, mate. Um, I, it, yeah, I just, I 100% he, he's an Offspring fan. I would bet my life on it. We need to get Dexter on the pod. Oh, I need to get Guy Fieri in my life. <laughs> we? I, I just like, even like the Woodstock 1999 documentary, which is just, it's Bonkers. shocking. And like, even in 1999, there's like, there's like the disconnect between, or like the stark difference between when Dexter Holland's on stage and then when Kid Rock's on stage. Oh Dexter Holland is like, he's like, hey, if you see a woman... Uh, crowd surfing and a dude gropes her like tell that guy to go fuck himself yeah. like go fuck off and then Kid Rock's like oh Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky <laughs> so gross <laughs> we have covered a lot of ground in all of like yeah. 10 minutes we are blasting through I was through. not expecting our 100th episode <laughs> To involve this much Dexter Holland talk. I must admit, like, I'm already resting on my laurels with this one. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be, like, a so, like such a good episode. He flies. He can fly as well. Sorry. I'm going to let you dig yourself out of that one. I'll fly myself out of that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So this is where you can insert Natalie's one. Nothing's fine on I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm cold and I am shamed. Lying naked on the floor. Illusion never changed into something real. So, I was going to do that earlier? Absolutely not. We hadn't even gotten close to talking about it yet. <laughs> See, this is why... I was just going to play it again. <laughs> no! This is, again, this is supposed to be, like, our definitive, like, best episode so far. I think it's up there. <laughs> I'm not convinced just yet. We all need right. to get back on track. All right, all right. All right, let's do this. Tell me, who is Natalie Imbruglia? So, Natalie Imbruglia. She is an Australian. Is she an Australian, darling? Do we do we hold her in as high regard as Kylie Minogue? I, I don't so. know. <laughs> she was born in 1975 from Sydney. Yes. She's half Italian and half Australian okay. as well. 
she got her start acting in commercials for Coca-Cola and the Australian chip brand, Twisties. Do you think there's a Twisties equivalent in the US? I imagine it's possibly Cheetos, but ours, like, Twisties is, like, a real kind of, like, pretty faithful cheese flavour. Yeah. Like, I, we watched the, the commercial just before with her, mm. and, like, the resolution is so low you could barely tell it was her. True. Um, and she, yeah. But, like, I was just watching it like, I could go a bag of Twisties, could you? And you were like, no! Yeah, I... Do you like Twisties? I do. I like the chicken ones better. The um, chicken ones are real good as well. But, yeah, to me, this just... This, to me, is, like, the equivalent product of, like, The Simpsons, like, I'd have called them Chazwazers. Like... Yeah. It's just such an Australian, like, oh, give me some Twisties, mate. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then when you were feeling a little bit more adventurous, it was the chicken ones. The chicken ones are really good as well. The chicken ones are delicious. It's basically just salt. The ones that I like the best are the zigzag ones. They, I suppose the structural integrity of them, like they carry the flavor a bit differently. Yeah, it's it's kind of more like it a melts in your mouth. It's kind of more like a cream cheese sort of Ew. flavor. What's wrong with cream cheese? Just I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, so she left school at the age of sixteen to pursue acting, eventually landing the role of Breath Beth, Breath Brennan, Beth Brennan on on the Australian uh, soap opera Neighbors. I've decided that I'm going to start this episode with 10 points and deduct a point for every time we go off topic and then assess us at the end. Okay. I'm not going to do that. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to you forgetting that. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) However, after she, uh, however, after her second year on the show, she moved to England. So she was only on it for two years. Yeah. I always forget that she was on it. Because I didn't watch Neighbours back then. I just assumed that basically every Australian celebrity was on either Neighbours <laughs> or Home and Away. Like, and what? It's like true. Who's who was our latest celebrity? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like someone who's like young and like what? At what what season was uh, Five Sauce on Neighbours? Were they on Neighbours? No. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I was like, gonna say like I associate every celebrity with Neighbours and Home and Away. Like, I used to live with a dude whose band was on Neighbours, and that was hilarious. But also, like, (laughs) I don't, yeah, just the quintessential, like, lame claim to fame. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know why England is so obsessed with Neighbours. Like, smart move of her. To go over there. Yeah, Yeah. because, like, of course she was going to take off, because for some reason England is obsessed with Neighbours. And that's where Kylie went to as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she went to England. Um, you know, and I, I think she was on it for a bit longer, but yeah. Mm. Did you ever watch Neighbours? My sister and I went through a brief phase of watching Neighbours. Like, we did that classic thing where you start watching it ironically and then you get invested in the story. Um, yeah. So, yeah, because we lived together for a year when I first moved to Melbourne for uni. And that was like our thing in the evenings was sit on the couch, watch Neighbours. And get strangely invested in the storyline. <laughs> yeah. It's shocking that it's, it's lasted as long as oh, it has. Yeah, it's it's bad. Because um, it used to be... Was it Neighbours? Or was it Simpsons then Neighbours every night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 6 o'clock Simpsons, 6.30 Neighbours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I would 
uh, yeah, turn off this turn it off once neighbors started. My brother and sister really got into neighbors. Yeah, makes sense. You know. It was definitely superior to home in a way. Oh yeah. Like to me it's sort of like the same dichotomy as like the bold and the beautiful and the young and the restless or whatever it is. Yep. Um like home in a way is definitely B tier television. I feel like more stars come out of Home and Away though, because like the Hemsworths were on Home and Away. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Margot Robbie was. Oh, was she on Neighbors? She I can't... was on Neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, Rogue Traders came from Neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Just the entire band. I'm getting so much cultural cringe from this episode already. <laughs> um, I think we should stop talking about Neighbors. I so I. There was just not that much that was very interesting about Natalie and Brulia, though. I, sadly, like I saw that she she very recently had a child, and it's through IVF, oh, and it cool. was like it was an anonymous. Oh, like she didn't know who the donor was, so it was like, could you imagine being that person who just goes to like donate, and then maybe like ten years down the line, you find out that the surrogate or the you know. The person mm. who took that was Natalie Imbruglia. Well, I guess you wouldn't know, so that's the whole point of it. But, like, I, yeah, I guess just if there's a chance that there's, like, like if, you know, child at, like, 18 goes, hey, who's yeah, my dad? Yeah, true, yeah. And then it's like, hey, we could maybe find out, you know? <laughs> like, I cannot imagine... Well, I guess it wouldn't be so straightforward for me because, like, I would be very much aware that I'd had a child. Um... As a person with female bits, yep. um, but that is the uh, the biological term as well. Yeah, bits. bits. Um, but yeah, I cannot imagine being someone with male bits and just pumping out kids and not knowing who they are. Because I don't think I think the the thing of like you get paid for it is a myth. Maybe you, like, in the US. Oh uh, yeah, maybe in the US. Well, she did this in England, so. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, maybe in England you get paid for it, but like you've donated blood and you don't get money for it. <laughs> no. Um, I, even I, if I had, I would have only gotten paid like fifty percent of it because I don't think I'd even filled a bag. <laughs> my veins are so bad. Your veins are greedy. <laughs> you got greedy veins. This is my blood. <laughs> I worked hard to make this. I'm not giving it away like a chump. Just just imagining your heart just like stops. Just like, <laughs> Shrivels. Just like, up. no. <laughs> like a raisin. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the song. Yes, Torn by Natalie Torn. and Brulia. Well, Torn yes. by the band Edna Swap. Yes. In 1993, that is bonkers. Which was, so it was written by Scott Cutler and Anne Previn of the band Edna Swap and, and Phil Thornley, who was a producer, I believe. Right. Because he would then, he would work with Natalie Imbruglia on ah, their version. Gotcha. On her version. So it was, uh, it was written in 1993, but it wouldn't actually be recorded until a year later. Yes. And it was t- uh, recorded under the title Brent, which... Again, thank you to Trenton. Yes. Uh, informed us that that's burnt in, or burned, burned in Danish uh, by the singer Liz Sorensen. And then it would be once again recorded by American-Norwegian singer Trine Rain. Yeah. Trine Rain, I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. 
Sorry. In 1996. In 1996. And then Imbruglia's version was recorded in 1997. And as I've mentioned before, she worked with Phil Thornley, who collaborated on the original to record the song for her debut studio album, Left of the Middle, from 1997. So I love things like this. So it's such a recursive. So like her version is a cover of a cover of a cover. So I... I almost get the feeling like... No, sorry, you go. So, like, the Edna swap version is the one that's the most radically different. And that's also, like, the Urtext, because that's, like, the first one. Yeah. And then I feel like hers is more aping the Liz Sorensen. But it's also kind of aping Trine's version. Trine's version as well. So I'd love to know if she also worked with um, Phil... Thornley. Because a lot of the elements in... And we'll sort of delve into all of them... I reckon once we've talked about this and we've talked about Hands Like Houses, we can just do a quick succession of, like, in logical order, like, yeah. talk about the progression. But, like, when you listen to them in that progression, you can sort of see that Natalie's version borrows a lot of Liz Sorensen's and also Trin's. Trin's. Sorry, I'm really sorry. I'm butchering this, I'm sure. Um, Like, there's just elements, like, similar sort of harmonies and like vocal bits and pieces sort of weaved through and like slide guitar and stuff like that like it's yeah it's like that would be such a great con if he's like basically gotten into like the dutch music market and the norwegian american (laughs) music market and then like and then gotten into like well i her version was natalie imbruglia's version was the biggest of them all yeah yeah um so like it was you know had worldwide recognition um but yeah just like it's almost like well didn't do quite as good with her didn't do quite didn't do quite as good as with liz didn't do quite as good with treen let's try it for a third time yeah yeah and then there's edna swap as well yes did you own left of the middle i did not um i'm trying to figure out though if i'm guessing that wishing i was there song was on that as well um that song slaps um, hang on, I'm just looking up the track list. One yes. one thing I did didn't mention was that she was married to Daniel Johns from Front Silverchair. Man of Silverchair. Yeah. yeah, which uh, we failed to mention Silverchair last week in the <laughs> yeah. in the come down episode. Uh, big ups to, to Dan from uh, Sadie, Sadie Hawkins, Hawkins Pod. <laughs> I was just like, look, to be fair, like I was three and Sam was five. Oh well, yeah. Um. I mean, Freak scared the hell out of me, or the film clip scared the hell out of me. Um, and, yeah. And Very funny. The anthem for the year 2000 was a great song, but the rest of it, I was like, eh, they were right. Maybe we're four and six. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so. Fact checker of the pod. The song received a Grammy Award nomination for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. But... Lost out to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Yeah, you weren't going to beat that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody was going to beat that. No. Unfortunately, I think this is a better song. But like, Yeah, but just given the cultural touchstone that was yeah. Celine Dion in 1997. I don't know what it was like for you because you probably, like, the nearest cinema to you was probably, what, like 90 minutes away from your <laughs> home. But like, it just felt like in the year 1997... It felt like, or 1998, I think it was, yeah, when it came true. out over here. It felt like Titanic was at the movies for about a year. 
It probably was. If it kept making, like, bank, mm. they probably just kept it. Who knows? But, yeah, it just felt like it was there forever. Or maybe it was there for so long because it took that long to watch it. Oh, yeah, it's a long-ass movie. <laughs> it is such a long movie. <laughs> So the song reached number two on the Aria charts. Was it pipped by Celine Dion or was it pipped by something else? Do we know? I did not look. That's okay. Because um, I would have to go through the Aria charts of that time. You have omitted a number here. So we don't know where it reached on the Belgian, Canadian... Uh, number two. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, no, no. <laughs> Number one, I believe it was. Okay, that would make sense. Um, I'd love, look, I would love it if she beat out Celine Dion in, well, you know, if yeah. it beat out Celine Dion in Canada, because Celine Dion, you know, famous Canadian. So let's try that again. So the song reached number two on the Aria charts. Number one? Yeah. In Belgium, Canada, Denmark, Iceland, Spain, and Sweden. Number two again in the UK, and then number one on the US Billboard Hot. Eleven. That's a very, um, very, what's the word? Random? Yeah, I was trying to think of another. That's, yeah, very, whatever number. What, what, what are your memories and your feelings towards this song? Um, I love this song. I, it just doesn't get old. Like... Obviously, it sounds like it's come from the 90s because it did, but listening to it even just in prep for this episode, it sort of, I hadn't fully considered how much of an impact this song had on me as a kid, if that makes sense. Like, as a kid listening to this, I don't think I realised just how much it introduced me to pop music to mm. Australian pop music to even just like even to the use of like simile and the use of metaphor in lyrics and yep. painting a picture with a song like with lyrics like I've always been hugely into the lyrics and lyricism of a song and I think this is probably one of the earliest examples of like where I really did engage with the lyrics, even if I wasn't fully aware of it at the time. Yeah. Like, even just the visuals or, like, just the imagery of I'm wide awake and I can see the perfect sky is torn. Like, obviously, you don't take that at face value. Mm. And I don't think I took it at face value as a kid, which I feel like at the time I would have been. So 97, 98, I was six or seven. Yeah. Like... I think that was probably one of the earlier examples of like illustrating a concept in song where I didn't just sort of read it and be like, okay, this guy has a big rip in it. Like, mm. it's kind of incredible thinking back to how pivotal this song was in terms of just thinking about like writing a really solid pop song. Yeah. With like really bang on, like, lyrics that paint a very, like, paint a very, like, detailed picture. Yeah. Yeah, like, tell a really incredible story. I'm just going to make a really quick 
uh, amendment, it is the Billboard Hot 100 Airplay, not Hot 11 Airplay. <laughs> so it's auto-corrected to Hot 11 for some reason. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I kind of miss... I miss looking into lyrics and lyricism. Like, I used to do that a lot more in high school. Yeah. Uh, and now I don't. I think it's because... I think there was also that... That sort of tradition when you get like the CD booklet and you read like, the liner notes. You read the liner notes and you read the lyrics in the booklet, and it's like, well, they don't have that on Spotify now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like there is so much to take from this, and like I'm thinking of another Australian act that I've already mentioned. Um, at like a time similar to this was Kylie Minogue's "On a Night Like This," and she has the famous line, "I want to spank the rhythm," like. It's just... Really? On a night like this, I want to spank the rhythm. I thought it was just, I want to stay forever. No, I'm pretty sure she says, I want to spank the rhythm. But it's like, I don't know, just... This is going to be very funny if that's not what she says. Oh, that's going to be a... That's going to be a a mandala effect. (laughs) Spoonerism for the ages. But I just... I, I think it's like... It's like... She's getting really deep with what she's saying, Natalie and Brulia, and then like our other like pop star at the time was like, yeah, I'm going to spank that rhythm. Like, let's just hold that thought for a sec. Oh, was I wrong? No, 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 no. I don't know yet. (laughs) You were very incorrect. Oh, (laughs) for 20 odd years, I have thought that she said on a night like this, I want to spank the rhythm. No, I want to stay forever. Surely there's a bit in there where she says spank the rhythm or something. No? I'm just going to look up that turn of phrase. Spank. Oh, Kylie. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was like, for the longest time, I was like, I think that's a really silly lyric. And then it was like, actually, yeah, sometimes when there is a really just dirty rhythm, you want to spank it. (laughs) bad for laughing because I'm getting like secondhand embarrassment of the concept but as long as you're willing to own it. <laughs> oh I'm fine <laughs> that's fine look dear listener if if you think that it was also spank the rhythm then <laughs> we'll we have give a you $100. No no we have a mandala effect <laughs> we... <laughs> it's the mandala effect as well So, yeah, I have been mishearing Kylie Minogue for uh, 20 plus years of my life. Uh, That's fine. Um, By, you know, by doing that, I'll uh, reconcile that by just talking about this song because I feel like I don't don't think I've misheard anything here. No, you have not. Unless she said, like, nothing's fine, I'm a fawn or something. But anyway, (laughs) I... Like one of the things that that I noticed while listening to it again on my headphones, mm-hmm. especially, was that she kind of, even though she's the focal point of the song, is that she, she kind of sounds like she's very quiet. Like she's yeah. a very quiet person. Which I have no doubt that she's a good singer, but I I wonder if she's maybe maybe not necessarily the strongest singer in the world. Yeah, like she never belted out her lyrics. No. Um, 
And I feel like she definitely had a patch of like being promoted as sort of this ethereal kind of yeah pop singer, like pixie cut sort of. Was she kind of almost like our Enya? Not so, like, woo-woo, I wouldn't think. What does woo-woo mean? I don't know. Just like, woo. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, like, she... There was, like, there's a warmth to her vocals, but it's not full-bodied. Yeah. yeah. Which is, like, I... There's, there is something definitely soothing about that. Something very comfortable about that. Yeah. Um like it's not trying to not trying to diss her at all but it's like I you know I have made the comparison between her and Kylie a few times but like Kylie has that voice that that yeah. has strength to it. And yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I necessarily I can't decide if I want there to be that big belting oomph moment or if I'm fine with it being just you know, it is a breakup song and it's, you know, the way it's written is it's kind of written like it's the, you know, the first couple of days after a breakup when it's, you know, it's probably at its worst. Yeah. And it is just that kind of thing. Like, I can't physically sing above a six at the moment because I've just been spending the last three days crying and my voice is hoarse. Well, shit. <laughs> you doing all right? Me? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, like, looking at the lyrics on Genius.com, um, for those of you playing at home, I didn't realise that uh, Phil Thornelly of Edna Swap... Um, I don't believe he is part of Edna Swap. But I, looking into it, he wasn't a part of like the members list. He just wrote the song with right. them. Right. So it's, yeah, that's interesting. Because he's also British and they're American. Right. But anyway. My bad. Um, but he did, like, he produced this version and also did bass, rhythm, guitar yep. for it. Um, and then, interestingly just talking about, like, vocals and singers. Um, Katrina Leskinich, the lead singer of Katrina and the Waves, does background vocals. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I didn't find out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I like that Phil produced the original version of this and the Natalie and Brulee one, and he also produced the one by Trine. Oh, so he did do that. Yeah, but, which I just... Um, which is sick. Like, he had obviously figured out a formula that worked mm. between the beginning text and then the two resultant versions, I guess. Yeah. And it does feel like then he really was, like, basically doing the song until it was right. Yeah, yeah. Till, till basically it could take off. Yeah. Um, because like I'm looking at the the train version. Sorry, I'm just calling her train now. Mm-hmm. But like that the video for that has like a few million views. But yeah. then you compare that to, to Natalie's version. Yeah. And it's it's you know it's quite a stark difference. Yeah. If you can, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so like oh like 
her actual official music video for it, and it was upload uploaded five years ago from Warner Music Denmark has one hundred forty five thousand views. The just the re- like the video without a music video yeah. has two hundred twenty seven thousand views uploaded twelve years ago. Um, ah. What are you doing? I went to go back and it started playing something. Well, shit. <laughs> oh, wow. So, Torn was written in 1991. Oh. And then it later appeared on Edna Swap's album. Yeah. So, yet another historical event that I brought about with my birth. You're welcome. Oh, there you go. I um, found out that going back to The Offspring, their, their album Smash came out on my birthday. So On your birthday? Yeah, my, on my fifth. Oh. Fifth birthday. Uh, yeah, the Natalie and Brulia version has 226 million Oof. views. And it's also, it seems to be uploaded by, well, it's, it's got the Vivo logo, but it's also seems to be uploaded by Natalie and Brulia. So well, like, yeah, it'd be her official page but like get that youtube money natalie yeah Yeah. why wouldn't you (laughs) also not quite related but um phil thornley was also the cure's bassist for 18 months ah produced their 1983 single the love cats and i think he also did the walking bass line for love cats oh there you go that's so sick I never got into The Cure. But I never got, like, hugely into them, but I like them. It's it's one of those ones, like, I would like to give them a go, because I never gave them a go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like they're a much less... Oh, I, I could be wrong. Like, just a much less pretentious version of The Smiths. <laughs> True. Because I know that goths were also into The Smiths. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, no, I don't want to lump every member of the Smiths into that. A much less pretentious version of Morrissey. Yeah. yeah. True. And silly, silly Morrissey. Um, but back to Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I love how iconic this version is. Mm. Like, the fact that it's sort of widely considered as like a key pop song, like, mm. in Australia. And also I imagine, like, Somewhat globally, at least. Well, I mean, 226 billion views on YouTube, that's yeah. 10 times more than our population, so. Um, but yeah, it just. Yeah. It's one of those things I could keep talking about of ages, but also. I don't need to. <laughs> I get that. I think for me, like, one of the most powerful things is just the lyric this is how i feel mm-hmm. like just laying it all out there like a real sense of vulnerability and like i was saying earlier like i remember distinctly feeling that as a kid who probably didn't understand what that would have meant at the time yeah like that's pretty wonderful that they were able to get all of that meaning through the vessel of a song that's a few minutes long like it's it's not saying it's, it's sort of basically just saying, don't just call this me being sad or bummed out. Like, I'm broken right now. Like, yeah. This is how I'm feeling. And nothing is making it feel better. I'm cold. I'm shamed. Like, no, no, I'm not being silly. Like, I'm actually trying to... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just like that you're paraphrasing the lyrics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, it's just capital G good. And then the guitar 
the slide. Oh, I love that. The slide guitar. Then it's like I'm going to space. Sounds like I'm I'm lifting off. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Shall we talk about hands like houses? Yes. She was warm. She came around and she was dignified. She showed me what it was to cry. I couldn't be the man that you adore. You don't seem to know. Before we get into Hands Like Houses, um, I want to say two things. Um, didn't really delve into too much. I looked into their like Wikipedia background and that sort of thing. Um, but like we also let Trenton explain who they are. Yeah, it feels in, a bit weird being very prescriptive about like this is the band. Yeah, when we're literally talking to like one of the founding members of it. Yeah, I also realized that, uh, or like I made the kind of distinction that if we were to do an unplugged episode, it would just basically be this without pop filters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take the pop filters off. Oh, man. <laughs> let's see if, let's see a friend of the pod, Richard S. He can listen to a full unplugged episode of Punk Goes Pod. Oh, look, the early episodes were pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm, I mean, these ones are still pretty rough, I'm sure. But, um... But anyway, would you like to talk about Hands Like Houses? Yes. So, Hands Like Houses hail from Canberra, the nation's capital, uh, and they formed in 2008. And they... Relocated moved... to New South Wales, though. Yes. Yeah. But they formed in Canberra. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where they're from, yes. Uh, yes. Um, and... Yeah, they comprise of members from former bands So Long Safety and Eternal Debut. Uh, in terms of personnel, we have... It was kind of funny talking to Trenton being like, so I see on your Wikipedia page that it says that you're from Canberra. Whereabouts <laughs> yeah. are you now? <laughs> yeah. uh, so Trenton, uh, guest of the pod this week. He is, as you could imagine, the lead vocalist and also does keyboards and programming. We have Matt Cooper on lead guitar, Alexander Pearson on rhythm guitar and backing vocals, Joel Tyrrell on bass guitar and backing vocals, and Matt Parkinney on drums. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, we should leave it to Trenton to give us an idea of who they are. Um yep. But this is one of those bands that have always sort of been a big name in Australian. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I should 
say punk. Post-hardcore is how they're classified, officially. Like, experimental rock, alternate rock. But, yeah. They, to me, like, run in the same circles as... Did we... I can't remember because it was, like, three weeks ago, but did we ask what do you actually classify? Oh, I don't know if we I did. don't think we did. That's all... Like, again, similar to my rant last week, like, genre is sort of a... Fluid. Exactly. Um, but yeah. I, this was one of those ones that like, when we started this project two years ago, you were like, the Hands Like Houses cover of Torn is sick. I, I love it so, so, And the Hands Like Houses cover of Torn is sick. Yeah, look, let's just get super into it. I feel like any time that we waste now is time that... We could be eating dinner. (laughs) And also just time better spent by the listener, like, listening to Trenton. Yeah. Later on. Um, yeah, I... This is easily, like, my number one yeah. ghost cover. Eat, like, hands down. Um, haha, see what I did there? Uh. Um, it just... And again, like, as you all will find out in our interview, blah, 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 um, the pick is so perfect Mm. like it fits them so well i guess most obviously of all because they're australian but it just suits them so well and like their version carries a warmth that is just so intrinsic to them yeah and like every creative decision about this cover works and like again this is one of those ones like it's a definitive example of like what punk goes should be yeah like it's just it was planned and executed so beautifully and yeah i it's unfortunate that this hasn't been like a source of revenue for these guys yeah um yeah huge shocker more on that later but even like i think on spotify at least this has like heaps more plays than natalie's for example this is, like, in terms of the history of the Punk Go series, yeah. this is, like, top three or top five of yeah. their most played songs. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, it's just testament to how well they do it. But, like, it also, like, there's five members of the band. Yes. And, like, they each they each almost have, like, their moment to sort of shine. Like, they, they're, yeah. they're like... How can we how can we pull apart all of these elements and then also bring them together? Yeah. And like show off who we are as individuals, but then what we are like together as a band. Yeah. And, you know, they used this platform wonderfully. It's like, let's show the world who we are. Yeah. Even though like at that point, like they had, you know, done a lot. I guess if anything, it's sort of potentially broaden their audience just that bit more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think the real slam dunk yes. would have been if they got to play the slam dunk festival. Uh, but unfortunately, COVID happened. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it just... Uh, I love it so, so much. Like, especially considering the number of iterations it took... For, um, I keep forgetting his Phil surname. Phil Thornley. 
yeah, how many iterations it took Phil to, like, fully realise the version, being Natalie's version. These guys do such an incredible job of, like, capturing those same production elements, but in signature, like, Hands Like Houses style. Because, like, they keep the slide guitar. They keep, like... Yeah, there's just production elements that they... Well, it's faithful to the original. Yeah. Yeah. But in saying that, it doesn't sound out of character for them either. Because, again, they've, like, taken it and made it their own. And Hands Like Houses in particular are incredible at doing covers. They've appeared on Triple J's Like a Version a couple of times. Um, So they did Shimmer by Fuel. And there was another one. They did... uh... Do they do Don't Speak by No Doubt? They did a No Doubt song. Yeah, I think they did. Um, Oh, God. I was literally listening to it the other day. What was it? I'm pretty sure it's Don't Speak, but you're looking into it anyway. I want to say, and I mention it in the interview, I'll mention like the one thing I wish I'd asked but forgot to was, has there been interaction from, like, did has Natalie Imbruglia listened to this cover? I'd be interested to know what she thinks of it. I'd like to think that Natalie would like it. Yes. Um, but like I mentioned in I mentioned in the interview that like one of the things that like immediately uh, brought me on board was in the you don't seem to know, you don't seem to care line, and it's like I can hear his home in his voice. You and don't seem to know. <laughs> no, <and> that's, <laughs> that's just me being You don't dude. seem to know, you don't seem to care. And it's like we talk about it uh, you know when we hear, like, a European band, you can hear their accent come through. It's like, oh, I love that. I love that I can hear where you come from and it's not just a typical American voice. No yeah. offence to the Americans, but it's pretty common at this point. Um, and it's, it, it, it is that that feeling. Like, I hear that and I immediately go, oh, well, this is just perfect. This is people from where I'm from covering a song from someone who's from where I'm from yeah, essentially. Yeah. And it just, it gives me this kind of in the best possible way, like this is a hundred percent a compliment. It gives me a homesick feeling. Yeah. And then I remember I'm home and it's, and then it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's something like, I think in addition to the vulnerability that's just inherent in the song and its lyrics, having that very true sort of vocal performance Mm. just gives it that extra layer of earnestness, which I'm just like, yes, yum, yum, yum. Like I love, (laughs) I love me a good earnest song. Um, So that's what it was. They also covered um, Anna's song, Open Fire by Silverchair for a tribute album that was released in 2017 called Spawn Again, a tribute to Silverchair. But what was the, no doubt song. It they, was Don't Speak. It was Don't correct. Speak. Yeah. But like, and they're just, they are so good at it. Like they have, and I've said it so many times, but like they have that real pop sensibility mm. of, you like, they know what it is about a song that makes it special. And they find a way of preserving that without just completely doing a carbon copy of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, Interesting enough, like, when we get to that fact about, you know, the bands that cover the songs, it's kind of like, 
I think we'll be asking in future when it's a song we don't like or when it's a cover that we don't like. It's like, why did you pick this? Yeah. Not, not why did Fearless pick this band to cover this song? It's why did this band pick this song to cover this? If they're just going to do a crap version of it. Yeah. Or a half-assed version of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, that's not at all what we got here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it is... It's it's vulnerable while also not being, not just being like a sad boy emo cover of it at the same time. Because I guess yeah, another key thing is they, Trenton does switch the pronouns a bit, but he still keeps it as very inward facing. Yeah, because he, so he thought he saw a girl brought to life, of course, but I couldn't be the man that you adore. Yeah. But you don't seem to know, seem to care what my heart is for. Like, it's just, it's a very subtle but very interesting switch, but it doesn't change the meaning to make it aggressive or anything. No. And again, like, that's just an unfortunate byproduct at times, I find, like, when we look at these ones were swapped. But it's one of those, like, to me, that doesn't register as them sort of being like, oh, shit, I'd better change the pronouns because I am a guy. See, mm. Like, he's changed the pronouns because he obviously can engage with the song and its content. And I would also say, like, we talk about, um, you know, when it's someone's experience. Like, when a, when a man is switching up Taylor Swift's yeah. experience, like, relationship woes or whatever, then that does feel a lot more personal. But, like... The Hands Like Houses version is the baby in the babushka doll. Yeah. And it's like, well, at this point, it's like, whose experience is it really? Like, is it Edna Swap's uh, experience? Is it Liz Sorensen's? Is it Natalie Imbruglia's? Like, it's taking someone else's feelings. And we don't know. Like, Natalie Imbruglia might have never, ever felt heartache in her life. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was pretty sad getting, you know, like, divorcing Daniel Johns, but like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying like, I, I like that they are able to take it, swap it around and, you know, make it theirs as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then look, it's probably just coincidence, but, and again, we get into this in the interview, but then like, I'd like to think that Neck Deep possibly took a page out of their treatment in their version. And in itself, like, and we'll get into other covers or other versions, I should say, very shortly. Like, they, for instance, do a full swap of the pronouns and even that just changes the meaning very slightly. Like, Mm. it's just so clever. Like, all those little decisions, they might seem like they don't bear much consequence, but altogether it really does make or break a cover. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. And I just, I cannot get across how much I appreciate the way that Hands Like Houses do Natalie Imbruglia's version. Like, it's just stunning. It's wonderful. It's perfect. Like, it's, it's, it's actually like a perfect color. Yeah. Um, and it's not just because we just interviewed him. Um, you know. You were, you were already like, oh, I can't wait till we get to this one. Yeah, pretty much when we started. And then as soon as we figured out there was a tangible way for us to get him on the pod, we were like, yes. Yeah. Like, that would be so sick. Yeah. And it was. 
And and it was. And a hundred episodes in, like this feels like the perfect way to see out episode one hundred. Like Yeah. It's yeah. We haven't had a bad interview yet. So. And it's cool being able to directly tell them how much we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So now that we are onto other covers, and generally we would be talking about We would find some weird stuff. But I think, like, I do like the idea of us going in sequence. So you have your Edna Swap one, then you have your Lee Sorensen, then you have Train Rain, and then that's where Natalie would come in, then Hands Like Houses, but then we will also look at Neck Deep. Yeah. So let's do it. Wide awake I can see the perfect sky is thumbs up forgetting that this is entirely an audio format (laughs) (laughs) so edna swaps one is sick like yeah it's grungy and after like Mm. last week when i was bitching about like the grunge doesn't mean but like it's a product of its time and that time was very grunge influenced but like I, i don't even know if you'd say it is grunge but it it sounds like, like yeah, it like sounds it like that, the hallmarks of it. It sounds grimy. Yeah. Like, it sounds like you could like, you know, scrape it off the wall, sort of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it just and like, I think the thing I love about all of these cup, not covers, okay, but like all of these versions is they still carry the same vulnerability, the same sentiment behind them. Yeah. Like, even when this does have very, like, sludgy sort of guitars, and you still get that distinct feeling of heartbreak from it. Yeah. And oh, this like, is this is a deeper heartbreak, I yeah, feel. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you think of it? Like, what... Oh, no, I think this is terrific. And this is, this is the most uh, contrasting... Yeah, yeah. Is that the right word? Like, this is the most different version yeah. of the song. And yeah, I really dig it. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you said, like, it is, it's sludgy and it's, as I say, grimy. Yes. You could throw it against the wall and it's going to stick. Um, but yeah, like, she just has this real kind of, it's this very tired kind of sadness yeah. to it. It's that thing of, like, I was saying, like, with Natalie and Brulia's version, how it's like, you know, I've been up three days crying and I cannot physically 
sing above a six. Mm. This I would believe she has been doing this. Yeah. She's been like, yeah, just crying and crying and feeling miserable and just not sleeping. And she is just so exhausted. And the last thing she needs to do right now is she needs to write a song. Mm-hmm. And I mean that, like, I don't mean like, oh, the, that's the last thing I'm yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, no, that's therapy for her. Yes. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy, but she needs to do this. Yes. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I'm kind of, I would be a little bit interested to listen to some of their other stuff, see what they were like. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's weird knowing that this was so... Scott Cutler and Frevin wrote this with Phil Thornley. Mm-hmm. Then they kind of shelved it, left it to Liz and then to Treen and then to Natalie. Or well, no, they got in there between Treen and Natalie. It's like, I just find it really interesting that they had the song there. Then they mm. sort of sat on it for a bit. And even after Phil had had a couple of goes with Liz and then later on, like, they sort of, it had some bones being built. Oh, I don't, like, they start, like, Phil had started to flesh it out in a very pop-centric kind yeah. of way. They still come back to it as very 90s, like, yeah. like, sort of like a softer version of, like, Pole or Courtney Love. Or yeah. Like, yeah. It's really interesting that this was sort of like, yeah, the band, or at least two of the members of the band, plus Phil, old mate Phil, like, wrote the er text of it, but then they still interpreted it in quite a different fashion. Yeah. Like, it's just, I. There's something very pleasing to me about the fact that this is like a cover of a cover of a cover. Like, mm. it's just bonkers. And then, yeah, there's just the layers to it. Yeah. To it all. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have much else to say about this one. I just, I, I think it's terrific. That's all right. Um, you know, go listen to, to Edna Swap as, as, uh, they say in the little information. Uh, bracket in the Hands Like Houses film clip that they did for this. Yeah, we don't know them either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go and give them some love, you know, 20 odd years later. Yeah. Um, looking at Edna Swap's Wikipedia page, I've just discovered that Phoebe Bridges does a cover, but. Of Torn. Mm. Ah. So, mwah, I'm, I already am just going to say it. I'm sure it's great. Um, and also One Direction. Lol. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Yeah. Please, my 
Sorensen. I feel like I've contradicted what we might have said up the top, but that doesn't matter. So she recorded the first, like, recorded version yeah. of it. Yeah. This one, to me, feels like the version from which Natalie was borrowing the most. Yeah, yeah. But again, like we said before, like, Phil worked on this one, then on the one with Trin, and then with Natalie. So, like, this was his first go. So, I guess in that sense, it's interesting because it's almost like first thought, best thought. Yeah. Like. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. But, like, remember when we did, we did the Ali Goulding song, Burn. Yes. And it had been originally written for someone else and she did record a version of it. And it was pretty much. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It was basically the same song. It was just like, well, you take out one singer for another and they, I think they put in like some like steel drums or something in it to give it a bit more of an (laughs) island vibe. Yeah. But like, it was basically the same song and it it feels like it's pretty much been the same song since since the Liz Sorensen version. And I kind of love that. Yeah. Normally I'd sort of be like, ugh, that's a bit lazy, but like, I think this is a song where it makes sense to keep it very true to the original because it's just so perfect. I love the idea of, um, so like how, how The Office, the TV show has spawned, you know, there was The Office America, I think there was an Office Canada, but I know there was like an Office Germany, like, I think they've just announced an office Serbia. I love the idea of like... (laughs) That's so cool. I love the idea of like songs, a song that could go like for like the English market, but then could also, you know, be done for like the Dutch market. It's sort of like... (laughs) Or like the Brazilian market. It it reminds me a bit of how the band Rednecks... Yeah. How they basically just set up like you can purchase a Rednecks franchise... Like, if you are so inclined, <laughs> you can purchase a license to be rednecks in your country. Couldn't we just do it and call it Bogans? <laughs> but, like... I wonder how much a rednecks franchise was, though. I don't know. But, like, <laughs> this That's to me hilarious. is the equivalent of, like, I'm imagining, like, they send you, like, stems and, like, just a few, like, web files in, on the computer... Via the internet, via your email, and they're just like, have at it. But, like, don't stray too far from Torn, please. <laughs> like, what's the what's the market for that? Like, where's, like, in Peru, someone buying a fucking Rednecks franchise? <laughs> like, because they need to listen to it in Peru. <laughs> well, I think it's because, like, because then they don't have to tour. Oh. I mean, well, hang on. But then they still get money. Let me have a look. Rednecks Be- franchise. Because I imagine it's just all done on a computer anyway. Like, they, they're they not actually singing. You know? no, yeah. Like, <clears throat> I was talking about, like, the process of, like, it'd be funny if it's like, hello, I would like to cover Torn, please. Yeah. And like, here is a parcel to do all that. Yeah, like, no, I, I got... Like a build, DIY, like, build your own. I got re- very distracted, but you came in and eloquently... <laughs> you came in and eloquently said what I was thinking, which was franchised songs, essentially. So, <laughs> so yeah, in January 2012, we'll just talk about Rednecks for a bit, because why not? 
Um, they announced that they dissolved the concept of a permanent band, intending instead to use a larger pool of characters from which one female and three male performers would be chosen for each performance. Rednecks claimed that this idea was totally unproven and unheard of in the music industry. In November 2012, Rednecks began a franchise operation in, guess... Peru? Australia and New Zealand. (laughs) Four new performers from Auckland and Wellington were recruited to form a second Rednecks with a non-exclusive license to perform in Australasia. Like... (laughs) <laughs> a press release accompanying the franchise launch stated, it's the first time an internationally, lo- internationally known pop band has cloned itself. <laughs> that is fucking brilliant. Like, these guys, they were, like, ahead of the curve in terms of, like, post-COVID. Like, they don't have to be anywhere. They can just they be, can like, do nothing and sick. Making like, are money. you guys fran- like franchise? Are you guys vaccinated? Cool. Here's a license. Go play our music. They will probably. They probably had made enough money from Cotton Eye Joe, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of brilliant. Like, it's so funny. It's kind of brilliant. Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get a franchise is so far not a complicated story. I think. Okay, so the trademark is owned by Swedish producer Pat Rainers who played Mup in the original lineup. What the fuck? Um, So he said, to get a franchise, as he was speaking to News Hub New Zealand, is so far not a complicated story, as long as someone has a passion for rednecks (laughs) and the determination and skills and business know-how to realise it, they would probably get to try it out. It would be great to add maybe another 10 rednecks to different parts of the world. Oh, wow. If the New Zealand arm proves a success, to be fair, this was 2013, so I don't know if it was, branch offices are planned for India and the home of the hoedown, the USA. That is hilarious. <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, which... There's an Alexis on Fire film clip. Um, I can't remember which song it was. It was the one about go-karting. Oh, yeah. Um where basically they do the same thing. And this was like 2003 oh, or 2004. Right, yeah. Basically like, we're sick of traveling. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to audition a whole bunch of people <laughs> so that they can go to different countries. And it was like, it was pretty, pretty funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we're getting very off track oh, though. So off track. We're not even, we're not even in the train anymore. We're just, so let's talk about Trim. I thought I saw a man brought to life. He was warm, he came around like he was dignified. He showed me what it was to cry. Well, you couldn't beat that man, I adore. You don't seem to know, don't seem to care what your heart is for. Something real. I'm wide awake and I can see. 
I'm getting the run sheet back up. I was trying to remember what Alexis on fire song that was. Okay. Um, So, this one to me feels like they took the template and they dialed the dial like one or two notches towards Kate Bush territory. Yeah. Just the voice. Yeah. Like, it's very sort of... I don't quite know how to put it. Like Like, it's very much leaning into like the woman singer element of it yeah like i don't know more alanis morissetti kind of no i gotta i gotta tell you like i've never listened to a kate bush song before that's okay like it's not even close but like just the very overpowering like very theatrical delivery of the lyrics yeah yeah so like i think listening to this version i'm happy with the take that Natalie and Brulia did on yeah, it then. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of like, yeah, I kind of don't need it to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, within the context of trying the different takes, yeah. ultimately, like, I think Natalie's one lands in the right spot. And apparently it did because it took off. Yeah. Um, so then that gets us to present day. So, like, we've had Natalie, we've talked about that, gets us to Hands Like Houses. And then Neck Deep did a cover of it for the Hopeless Records. Um, I guess their equivalent of Punk Goes, which is Songs That Saved My Life. So I guess this fortune teller's right. Should have seen just what was there And not some holy light But you crawl beneath my veins And now I don't care I have no luck I don't miss it all that much There's just so many things That I can't touch up to I'm out of faith This is how I feel I'm cold and I am shamed I am naked on the floor Was glad to hear that they that they have a good relationship with Hands Like Houses. Yeah. But I'll just say the Hands Like Houses version is better. Yeah, it is a little bit. No, this is this is a really good cover. Yeah. It, it, it is, but it doesn't there is just that little bit of something that's not quite there. Um if I wasn't if I was just listening to it on its own, I would probably be really I would be more favourable towards it. And again, this is a really good cover. Yeah. Um, like, I don't I don't really have any issues with it, but it's just, yeah, you compared it to the to the Hands Like Houses version, and realistically, it's probably unfair to compare the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they do 
take a bit of a different take on it. I feel like theirs is a bit closer to the Natalie and Brulia version yeah. than Hands Like Houses. Like, right. there is a little bit less of who they are in right. it. Right, okay, yeah. 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 It's interesting because I think, yeah, their version came out in 2018, so four yeah. years after Hands Like Houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, it's just... I love that it just sort of keeps regenerating itself because they probably did hear Hands Like Houses' version and be like, yeah, sick. Yeah. And then they've got their version and then I'm sure there's like kids out there who are like obsessed with Neck Deep and they've got their own little punk band and they're probably covering their cover and it just like... Yeah. It's It's a snowball. Yeah, I'm just having like a galaxy brain moment. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I just oh, so stoked that we've <laughs> that we've finally been able to talk, even though we veered into Bizarro territory for a bit there. Yeah. If you want to purchase a Pungo's Pod franchise, um, just hit us up at punkgoespod at gmail dot com. All you need is just like two presenters, and then we'll give you the run sheet, and you can just go for it. Yeah, and give us the money. <laughs> Yeah. The most important thing, give us the money. Exactly. We should just, like, outsource the actual episodes of this. Yeah. And then we can just upload them every Friday and be like, yeah, sick. Yeah. That was us. So, ghost performers, then. Not yeah. ghost writers. Well, oh, man. We should, like, feed our... Just spend, like, a week just talking into, like... Well, yes, a mic. And then, like, feed it into, like, AI. Yeah. And then they can just generate episodes for us. That would be terrifying. I hate the idea of an AI <laughs> yeah. having my voice. I I hate that idea. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm sorry I brought that up. But um I will be nightmaring about that tonight. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah, nah. Oh to hell yeah. Hell yeah. For all of the, all around, like all the versions that we've spoken about tonight, uh Definitely all get a hell yeah. Yes. Um, I would say the subject matter and the cover, yep. the Hands Like Houses and the Edna Swap are probably my favourites. Yep. Um, but yeah, all around, like it's just a terrific song, terrifically uh, picked. Yeah. Uh, just quintessential 90s. It's just one of those ones that's like I'm immediately back in my room playing Pokemon Blue on my Game Boy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my longest hell yeah ever. Ah. Um, if you've been around since episode one, thank you yeah. for listening. Um, We're still going. We are. We've got at least another hundred more of these in us. Oh. <laughs> um, fuck. What have we done? <laughs> um, That's more like another 150. Don't. Just don't. I'm, I am just sensing that there's going to be another Punk Goes comp at some point. And I'm of going, course there will be. They're still around. I think at that point we just have to do like a rapid fire. Like, let's just cover this album off and just get it done. There's like, that's their cash cow. I feel is. is the is the the compilation albums, and when we know that they get a hundred percent of the royalties from it, yes, like why wouldn't they? <laughs> um, follow us on Twitter at Punk Goes Pod. I'm making a conscious decision to try and not hijack it and make it my own Twitter account. 
It's um, been your Twitter account since we started, so and I, I and I've not fought you on it. So. But no, like I just want to make it an official like account that I don't shit post from all the time. <laughs> Uh, another announcement as well is that we we haven't set up tiers yet, but there will be a Patreon coming around with some with a couple of extras like episodes that you'll only be able to get a couple extra shows that you'll only be able to get on the Patreon. And the amount of effort that Sam has to put into just wrangling me to record these fucking things, um, that will be a good return on investment for Sam at least. <laughs> I mean, you know, you then have to wrangle me to talk about the topic of the week when we start, so... This is true. <laughs> it's a two-way street. This is true. I'm quality <laughs> control. You um, are. But, yeah, we do have an Instagram, but I do not utilise it properly. I'll let you guys know if I make better use of it at some point or hand the keys to Sam. Um... Thank you to everyone who has supported us so far. Thank you to all our guests so far. Um, Jordan, um, Trenton, Richard S. He, friend of the pod. Jono from Dr. Colossus. Jono from Dr. Colossus. Uh, Sadie Hawkins pod. Sadie Hawkins pod. Zeitgeist Labs pod. Thank you for the podcast. Santa Banter. Jason Morrison, Santa. Yep. Um, yeah. I will ask you... Our first hundred episodes, hell yeah or yeah, nah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is, yeah. Pretty, this is pretty good. This is one of the things I look forward to every week. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, enjoy Trenton. Yeah. And we will see you for another hundred and beyond. We'll see you at 101. Yes. That's what's going on. Nothing's right, I'm Well, uh, we've come back and very, very special guest uh, for our 100th episode. Yes. Uh, we've been we've been talking about doing this for a while um, and very happy to make this happen. Uh, please welcome Trenton from Hands Like Houses. Yay! G'day. Hi. Hi. Oh, very hi. special. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Yes. Um, of course. And for giving us audio advice. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we're learning something new every day. We get the privilege of learning from an industry professional. Yes. Um, yeah. I, say, I can always be taking advice, so, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, all right. All right. So, yeah, well, I mean, we're doing this a little bit early, Uh we, we, you know, dear listener, you would also, you would already know that we will, uh, that we've already talked about Natalie and Brulia, and now we're talking about Hands Like Houses' cover of the song. Um, I guess one of the things we sort of, we want to know if, because uh, it's going back a ways, um, we, we have all, almost created this sort of law about what happens behind the Fearless Records doors. We've created, like, our own version of who the CEO of the company is. 
I'm sure that like it's pretty you know bog standard what happens there, but I, I guess the biggest question I have in regards to you know these compilations is do you get given a song or do you get to pick what song you you do? Um, bit of column A, bit of column B. Um, I would yeah. say usually. Um, they usually have a bit of a vibe. So for our ones, because it was uh, um, Punko's 90s as opposed to Punko's pop, um, they obviously have a a decade to span there, but that's not necessarily covering all genres. So we actually, when we first started out, we were the first song we actually pitched was Say My Name by Destiny's Child, which uh, snuck into the 90s by, I think it was only like less than a month. It was like December 99 that that came out, I think, from memory. Um, yeah. And... That, that was just a fun one to sing. Like that was purely the reason for it. It's just like, it would have been fun to sing and do some cool harmony stuff. And um, that was what we pitched, but they said, look, we're take, trying to take a bit more of like a grungy rock sort of vibe right. with the other tracks. And you look at the rest of the track listing on there. You're like, it's, it's leaning a little bit more into like kind of the rock side of the nineties. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, we just kind of came back to each other and like, look, obviously it was a great era for Australian music and yeah. talked about a few options and things that were out. And um, I think there was one that we actually, I can't even remember what it was, but there was one we floated that I think another band was trying to do at the time. Maybe yeah. it was, it might've even been like a silver chair or some song or something. Or, yeah. Um, but maybe I'm just mixing up my memories from when we did uh, the silver chair compilation with Unified a few years back, but, uh, yep. um, yeah. but yeah, so it's, to <laughs> To loop it back, uh, to loop it back, yeah, to answer your question, like, um, you, you generally pitch a song and they will approve it, essentially. So, and if you need suggestions, they'll always give, you know, they're always happy to give a few suggestions. And, like, for example, in Australia, Like A Version is quite similar in that you yes. pitch a song. Um, it's actually gotten, their, their process for Like A Version has got a lot more uh, technical these days. You actually have to submit almost like a, de- a demo version of it oh, um, with shit. a pitch and, and a bit of a, t- a, a conversation around it. Like, it's not just like, oh, we picked this song because we liked it. Like, they want to have a story behind it. Um, yeah. So it may be that, you know, the Punkos compilation towards its later years may have had similar sort of kind of editorial insight. But uh, for us, it was just pitching a few ideas. They loved it. I mean, the, the, the Australian connection through Natalie and Brulia was there. And um, yeah, even though the song was originally a cover, which we found out obviously after the fact, as everyone did, yeah. <laughs> yes. listening listening and watching the video clip, finding out that, oh, it's actually a cover of a band called Edna Swap that, yeah, uh, even then I have a feeling theirs might have even been... Yeah. I don't know. Someone told me that that even that song was a cover. So it's like a cover of a cover of a cover. It's you know, it's Russian just, dolls of yeah. <laughs> covers. <laughs> I was I was going to mention that yeah, you are kind of like the fourth generation of covering torn. You guys are like the largest mm. Matryoshka doll. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, there was Edna. Swap. I'm glad you know the name. <laughs> <laughs> I just say the Russian dolls out of laziness. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I fumbled that. I'm sure someone will be very cross. Um, yeah. Oh, but right. yeah, no, like Sam. Well, you explain. You started, and then I cut you off to be smart. That's oh, all right. I, I cut you off all the time. So, uh, so there was the Edna swap version, but I think the actual first recording of it was a she was a Dutch singer, and it's yeah, all that sounds right. It's all sung in uh, in Dutch. I was literally um, listening to it this morning, and, and now I've embarrassingly navigated away from. I'm just going to pull <laughs> up my search results just to see. But I don't know, like, because because the Edna swap version is very very different to mm. so it's an artist called Liz Sorensen. Yes. Um and mm. I think the name of it it's 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 not in English. <laughs> it's like Brent or yeah, Brent br- br- or something br- like that. Brent. 
and yeah. it translates to like broken as opposed to torn, I think, ah, or mm. bruised. I think it might be. Um, yeah, that's because yeah, German, um, German and Dutch have some similarities. I speak a bit of German, and yeah, like, um, like, yeah, but um, uh, in German, I think it's uh, gebrochen, yeah, gebrochen is broken. So that oh, wow. similar, similar phonetics there. So that might be a. Anyway, sorry, yeah. just oh, we're learning so like... much today. <laughs> I did not expect to be this enlightened when I woke up on a Sunday in <laughs> Melbourne. So love it. Oh yeah, it, I, it is a Sunday. So yes, it's just, this is the day where I don't allow any new knowledge in my brain. So yeah, no, I'm observe the Sabbath. Um, yeah, like it's wild to sort of see, like. I sort of did that thought exercise this morning of like listening to Liz Sorensen's one and then yeah. mm-hmm. um, the second one, then Natalie and then you guys, and then like Neck Deep have also covered it. Like it's, mm. yeah, it's just, I guess we'll get on to like what we think of it a bit further down into this conversation. Yeah. Like I think, yeah, that's really interesting to hear that there is a bit more like like there's more of a mechanic behind getting a cover organized for the punk go series. Mm. Cause like, I thought we were always being a bit like tinfoil hat kind of like, mm. Oh, like shit. <laughs> and then they basically do fantasy football pitch and like, they want this band to do this cover. That sounds a bit ridiculous, but yeah, it's yeah. Because- interesting to hear that. Like they do sort of work with you guys to develop something as opposed to just like yeah. you go there. Yeah. Like, and because you're the first band that we've interviewed that have been on a, a mm-hmm. punk rose compilation. And, uh, yeah, we sort of – and because we tried to explain, because sometimes with some songs it really seems like the band isn't terribly interested in doing it. And so it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they must have just been given that one and didn't have any you know emotional mm-hmm. connection to it. I can't really think of any at the moment. I'm not going to out anyone at this no, stage. No, we, we <laughs> don't need to make any enemies. Every episode when we don't like it, you can tell. So there yeah. you go. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's interesting, like, with that in mind, because I think when I first heard the Hairs Like Houses cover of Torn, I was like, fucking sweet, like, representing, like, Australian pop culture from the 90s I suppose even though like that song took off I think worldwide more or less oh yeah yeah um yeah but I guess in terms of like how you treat a cover and like you mentioned earlier like you guys have also covered Anna's song for um a silver chair comp you guys have covered Fuel's Shimmer for Triple J's like a version like and don't speak by no doubt oh my goodness ah so um yeah, like, you guys are no strangers to the game of, like, doing mm. really incredible cover songs. Like, how do you guys approach covers in general? Like, do you have a certain, like, I don't even, like... Yeah, um... how, how do you how do you put the Hands Like Houses formula into a cover song? That's a good way of putting it, because I was just going to say, do you have a vibe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough one, because I feel like... Um... Uh, obviously every song's different but one thing um like we were really learning a lot about songwriting through kind of the unimagined era of our band um which is when we did torn and i think torn in itself just finding out that it was a cover of a cover of you know it kind of helped distill the idea that a good song's a good song no matter how it sounds if that makes sense like yes if you play a good song on an acoustic in a pub 
you know, it and it works just as well there as it does a full production thing, then you're in a good spot. And that's something that really kind of shaped the way that we approached songwriting from kind of it was we were finding our feet with Unimagined, but I think that it was kind of, you know, dissonance where we kind of discovered our formula, so to speak, in terms of like what you know, what makes what makes a song carry, what makes a song consistent. And um so with covers it was always I think a balance of like what makes this song great and you know I think with songs like the more the more you like the more you change it I think one thing a lot of you know the punk goes covers even as an example a lot of them were too tangentially stylistic like you know too they they kind of lent too much into the metalcore side and you kind of lost the the flavor and the character of the original sometimes and other times it was so much like the original that like it you know what I mean? Like it, it kind of, so there's always is that, that happy sweet spot that's halfway between like putting your own flavor and, and then paying respect to what the song is and what it, what makes it a great song. And it's not just like, Oh, this is our version because we like screaming music, you know, like they're not yeah. to say that that's not without its value. Cause I mean, you know, you cut back to, you know, the, that kind of golden era of metalcore or whatever you want to call it, like between, you know, 2010 to 2013, 14, like, um, yeah. you know, that there was that real, sense of like this is our music that real kind of post myspace emo crowd yeah. that re- just wanted a representation of pop culture interpreted in our community and that was what had that strength and so that's why a lot of those songs did really well even though you know they may have not have stood up to the test of time because the songs themselves or the interpretation of it didn't necessarily stick with what you know the cl- it wasn't classic it was just contemporary if that made sense yeah um yeah. So I think for us, it was, you know, just trying to pay respect to that. Like, you know, we, we try to pr- approach it with our writing process, which um, for us, you know, often, you know, at, particularly at that stage as well, like Coops and Al would bounce each other off each other a lot these days. It's kind of one or the other, kind of taking the lead creatively on a particular song um, or vibe. And uh, we've all got more involved in different aspects of it. But I think it was a case of just, you know, getting the rhythm down, getting like the core. So like, the, you know, the rhythm and the drum beat was kind of the main thing you know Joel was starting to uh dig around with slap bass and that sort of thing like through that sort of time period and like inspired by bands like Don Broco and things like that like he was really kind of getting into how how he could kind of go beyond you know just kind of playing the root notes or whatever the rhythm guitars were doing like Joel was really kind of stepping into his own as a bassist so there's some cool kind of licks and vibes in behind that so it's kind of you know we all brought our own thing to it um but it was kind of just really trying to get the core of the song right first and then building on that so you know with Jamal's keys in there with you know Coops's leads being a bit more ambient and a bit more textural rather than like melodic if that makes sense like that's one thing that Coops has shifted over our career has gone from more of like a melodic songwriter to more of a textural guitarist if that makes sense um so the melody the melody is still there of course um but it's more about kind of breathing in and out with the song so it's more about you know crafting an atmosphere so i think that torn was kind of quite a pivotal one for us in that sort of time period of learning how to engage with that and you know it's always going to be a case of fly by the city of pants and kind of see what happens, put it together. And we worked with uh, Dave Petrovich at electric sun studios in in Sydney. And that was our first time going back there since our very, very early days doing some demos that most of which never really kind of made it beyond MySpace and never haven't, haven't seemed to have found their way to YouTube. And some of them for good reason, you know, some lyrics that were not necessarily well written. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, like I think all in all, um, it was really good to kind of just keep that sort of home home vibe. And I mean, one you know whether 
this is too, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak. But uh, mm-hmm. one thing about the, the Punkos series, it was all about exposure. Um, essentially, you got a recording budget, um, depending on the size of the band, really depends on how much a recording budget you got, I think. Um, but it wasn't a lot. Like, I think we had like $1,500 US to spend on doing the song and there was no, there's no back-end royalty. So even though it's our top four, um, oh my God. like number, like our, I think our... Uh, second or third most streamed song ever yeah. um and consistently week by week it's in the top five if not top three yeah. um and we'll never see another cent from that but in terms of the exposure and the people we've reached that have kind of connected to what we're doing brought more broadly it is still worth it but it just you know uh, that's the sort of thing with a thing like that because when you do cover songs the publishing royalties for the songwriting itself goes to the original songwriters oh, so yeah that works back through whoever you know whoever basically was on the natalie and Brulia version that we based it on then that whatever those writers were you know and then what's called the mechanical royalties which is essentially for the license of the song itself and the performance and all that sort of stuff like that um that would all go to fearless so fearless puts that all into marketing and for them it's kind of a you know case of like most labels is throw shit at a wall and see what sticks so for them it's about managing their budget so that if it doesn't work then at least it covers the marketing budget of the of the the album and the compilation if the song does well long term then that's a good gamble on their part and for us it's you know just put us in front of a bunch of people and it's like i said it's had that exposure potential but maybe that's why you know you said about some covers that have felt a bit kind of half-assed so to speak um have that that could be that bands have just kind of not really had much of an idea of what they wanted to do with it musically it was more just cool we've been invited to be on it let's do it you know what i mean yeah and it's it's kind of the prestige of it more so than, you know, any, any sort of yeah massive investment into how it plays into the band's future and things like that. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's always a catch 22 with any sort of label, but um, you know, we had, you know, we had a great time working with them on it and working with Dave was phenomenal. We were able to make that work close to home. So we just ducked up to Sydney for a day or two before we went out to the U S for, I think it was just before Warp Tour 2013 we recorded yep. it, I think. Um, wow. So yeah, we just kind of packed it in there, got a couple of days in and uh, yeah, just tracked it all out, kind of banged it out pretty quick and um, kind of had most of the structure and demo in, in place. So it was really just kind of getting all the extra ad lib vocally, all the extra vocal ad libs, getting some, you know, synths and textures in there behind what Jamal was playing himself. And yeah, um, yeah came out, came out as it is and he did a great job mixing it and uh, can't even remember who mastered it these days. <laughs> <That's>, um, <laughs> I think, I, I think Fearless Heat up mastering actually we sent off the mixes to them and they got it mastered for us so yeah um, that would make sense yeah to tie it, i guess to tie it in with the other songs so at least there was yeah. some sort of sonic consistency between the songs god this is fascinating like yeah. getting the full <laughs> picture because i don't know what i thought it was before we spoke to you i think it was just they decide well especially like with the pop ones where it's like these are the popular songs over the last year or two yeah mm. yeah we will just give them to bands and they will do it that's what i that's what i thought it was yeah i think and especially considering that probably half of those bands are fearless record Mm. bands that's that's the thing is like when a lot of them are like fearless records roster bands like it feels a lot more straightforward but yeah like you're in the process of like coming in like essentially on a contract of like yeah we're doing this like Mm. here's the product off you go yeah it's fascinating yeah. bear with me i'm just sort of like galaxy braining <laughs> over here yeah um but yeah that oh, that fucking sucks about the um royalty situation yeah. but um yeah 
Yeah. I mean, that's cover songs anyway. And like, you know, in, in an ideal world, if it was, you know, bands like Our Last Night, for example, that make a huge amount of their living off covers is because that mechanical royalty goes to them. Um, yeah. and they've got a massive following. So that works. And, you know, we, we've got, um, we're independent pretty soon. Uh, like, well, we're, we're finishing up our contract with Unified shortly oh, okay. and, um, had, still have a really good relationship with them, but, um, yeah. yeah, kind of looking into what a future of our band looks like and, um, mm-hmm. At this stage, the intention is to do it independently, but obviously that puts a lot of more more work on our plates individually. Yeah. So um, we're just kind of working through getting songs together first and see where we're at. And but um, but yeah, like uh, you know, if we were to put out a song, a cover, like we're we're planning in part of our future yeah. thing, just to kind of do a few more covers here and there, just just you know, as part of kind of, I guess, a continuity of content rather than necessarily yeah. specifically album or EP or single focus. Like it's yeah. just a, it's something that can kind of flesh things out. And there's a couple of things that we worked on here and there over the years. So um, the good thing is about that, like it will have a back end sort of thing for us and, you know, nothing's going to probably ever do as well as Torn did just because it's just one of those songs, you know, <laughs> regardless of what we've done to it. But um, yeah. yeah, hopefully, yeah. You know, it's a, like I said, it puts you in front of people and it gives, it's an entry point to what we're doing in a broader scale and you know, that's what it's worth. And yeah. And I mean, it's fun it, to play in pubs, especially as we've done more regional yeah, shows. Yeah. Being able to play it, being able to play it in like a, a little pub to like a hundred people in in you know central Queensland, um, just to you know, have a bunch of you know drunk <laughs> drunk pub goers just belting out "Nothing's Right on Todd." I want yeah. that, like just really ripping into it is great. <laughs> That's a great sing along song. It, yeah, mm. and that was I was going to ask if you, you, if you play it live, but. Ooh. What was that? There was just, sorry, there was just a noise from our Zoom meeting, but that's all right. We will see what happens. If it cuts off, <laughs> we'll just apologise profusely and jump back onto that's another That's all right. <laughs> um, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, yes. No, so I was just going to, I was going to ask, and then you basically answered whether you uh, do play it live. Um, mm. but yeah, you, you answered that. Um, I, think, I think originally we didn't intend to. We, we certainly yeah. didn't intend for it to be a live thing at first. So it took a couple of years for us to kind of put it, sneak it into the set. Cause we're, you know, like when you, especially when you're kind of early in your career as well, like you get a bit, what's the word, like attached maybe to your own ego, which sounds really over the top. Like we've always been pretty regular, kind of balanced tried to be at least tried to be, you know, pretty level-headed about what we're yeah. doing, but there's, there's that sort of, you know, feeling of like creative integrity, like, Oh, the live show is like where we exist. So we should be focusing on our own music. But I think we tried it out as like an encore at a couple of shows and it just, it, it just worked. You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. it's not, it didn't feel like it took away from the experience. So it, it's just kind of found itself. in. It's always just a fun kind of throw away, like stick it in the set um, yeah. as a sing along thing, especially like if we're playing to audiences that may not be quite as familiar with us. So regional tours or, um, you know, festivals, even like we've done on one or two just here and there where we know that people aren't going to know what we're doing and they yeah. aren't going to know the songs by and large so it's just a wild connection point with those audience so there's a place for it for sure yeah that's awesome I guess like in terms of this having been an exposure like opportunity for you guys like I feel like at that point you guys had already sort of you were doing really well so like this was sort of an extra like springboard for you guys but yeah. like like you said like you pretty much hopped on a plane, played Warped. You've played Warped twice, was it? 2013? Three times. Three times. 13, 15, 17, yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. And I haven't seen, seen Warped at all. Anyway. Do they still do skateboarding at Warped? <laughs> nah. That no? kind of... Uh, I think they had a little bit at 13. Um, It was kind of, yeah. 
I don't remember there being much for 15 and 17, but I mean, they had YouTubers at 15 and 17. That was great. Um, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> nah, that's the skateboarders like, of the late 2010s. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, that didn't quite cross over with us. I think it was more of a music oriented thing by the time we yeah. came around to it. And, yeah. and particularly like the punk rock metal sort of bubble. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like Warped, you've played Download, like you guys have traveled, like toured substantially both here and overseas. Like what was the, and this is a very like classic sort of journalist, <laughs> what was the point where you guys sort of looked at each other and went like, holy shit, like this has gotten bigger than we, not necessarily um, than we expected, but like was there a moment where you sort of went, mm. ah, we could, we could do something with this? <laughs> like yes and no. I mean, so many of those you know, shows on those the first couple of warps where, you know, places we hadn't really played a big show before or, yeah. you know, weren't expecting like, the, you know, any sort of festival, like a Rock on the Range festival we did in 2015. Like yeah. we started, we had a, you know, we, we it was like a two-stage setup with like a big stage inside in the stadium and then the the smaller stage outside. And we started with, you know, a few thousand people out there, which in itself is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Um, but we kind of, we were second band on the bill for that stage and, uh this one's always been a special one for me because like we were doing our stage prep and setting everything up. We're like, Oh, right, cool. Let's just duck behind, you know, duck behind the stage, kind of have a drink of water and get ready to go. And yeah. um, between when we walked off stage to go do that. And when we walked back, the band that was inside finished and another 10,000 people poured out. So we ended up playing to 15,000, 20,000 people just, and that, that in itself was like one of the big, like, moments sort of thing but yeah. I mean there's so many spread out through the career I, I couldn't say that there's an individual moment that was just a special memory for yeah. me because that was just such a walking out on stage I'm like that's a lot more people than were here five minutes ago um well I better not fuck this up hey <laughs> oh, <amazing. laughs> so yeah like there's things like that that always have a bit of a moment and I think you know like picking up the the theme song for like the WWE and then on onwards to NRL and uh, even having like the the Marvel uh Fox had like Marvel month a couple of years yeah. ago and they picked up monster for that as well. And then, um, you know, having dangerous picked up for the AFL finals last year, last year. I think so. Yeah, last year. I don't follow the football. Yeah, no, so. no, Ta- time is, time is slippery in lockdown. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no. various stages thereof, but, uh, yeah, no, it was just, um, there's so many moments spread out over career, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's when you get those things beyond that little bubble that like yeah. kind of, you know, little, sub-genre world that we live in for you know but based on who we've toured with and what labels we've been on all that sort of stuff like that's the wins in that have always felt good but it's when you kind of feel like you touch on to a broader conversation in the main you know the mainstream in inverted commas (laughs) you know that's always a little there's a certain sense of validation that comes with that because that's the sort of thing where you you know you like your your parents or your you know your work colleagues are like oh I've heard that or you know oh that's awesome you know what I mean like that that's always the stuff that has a bit more of a made it sort of feeling than any like big you know punk rock metal festival yeah which is always fun in its own right but yeah it's it's those little things that kind of make the made it getting getting mum's approval is always the best (laughs) Uh, she's always been mad supportive (laughs) except for the songs with swear words in them but uh or when I sound really angry or sad but yeah (laughs) <laughs> our mums have always, we, we actually have like a bit of a mums club uh oh. my mum is unfortunately lives in queensland the rest of the guys parents are all in canberra so um but yeah we had like a, there's a bit of a parents club where they'll, they'll get together and have dinner together sometimes because you know some of the some of the guys have been friends for you know decades now so yeah. um 
So they'll, they'll get together every now and then, and that shows, you know, Coop's mum will often be in the mosh pit, and Alex's mum will be in there as well, and <laughs> you always pick them out, and they're having a great time, so... Oh, that's yeah. so sad. It's quite beautiful. Like the mums become the friends, become friends because of you know. I know. Their friends. Like it's, it's quite sweet. Like the ideal version of like when you're in school and you become friends with someone, so then the parents have to play friendly with each other. And yeah. Like, it's like the best possible iteration of that. I love it. Yeah. Um, but if if this was a wrestling podcast, I would pick your brain about getting a song, getting making your song being the official monster being the official track for Super Showdown, but. The sanity of my co-host here, right? <laughs> you can I, if you want. I won't. I'll come back to. I'll bring it back to Torn because that is why we're okay. why we're here. Um, I one of the things we always applaud. It's more so in the originals. Um, is when you can hear you can hear someone's country in their voice when they're singing. Like mm-hmm. when we did "Do Hast" by Rammstein. Like mm-hmm. I love that I can hear, I can hear his German accent fully and completely and. Because Emma was very excited to do this when we first started. And when I listened to it, the moment that it tweaked for me and became amazing was when you sing in the line, you don't know, you don't seem to know, you don't seem to care. And it's like, oh, the Australian accent is there. And and it's like, this is for all the Australian kids that that wanted to be in a punk band. Absolutely. And it's like, someone made it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, um, that was kind of the time period when I was only starting to find my own voice, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah. yeah as a singer you always kind of start off emulating the people that you listen to so for me you know that was you know most of the people within our scene and you know many of whom don't need to be mentioned for various reasons now just um but you know what i mean like they even beyond that like I, I used to listen to a lot of american artists um and emulate kind of their singing styles and as I was kind of finding my own voice i found like because i you know there, there were bands like the getaway plan for example that were formative yes. for us um where that that always sang with kind of strong australian accent and i i I always loved that but i just never felt comfortable in myself until around that kind of you know it was unimagined torn like where i started kind of finding how how i could sing certain vowels in a certain way or you know where where to to exaggerate my accent and where to kind of back mm-hmm. off on it so that it felt feels fluid because like that's something that people have always asked okay your accent accent disappears when you sing and it's like it's because when you sing no one sings in their true accent yeah yeah, yeah. at least when you you know i mean that's not so not no one but you know what i mean like your accent is kind of almost secondary to the flow of the song and the way that the vocal projection goes. So sometimes to make a note loud or hold a particular note, you're all, you're changing the way your mouth shapes the vowel anyway. So, yeah. um, so I think kind of finding that, like, you know, it's not like I say, no, like when I, <laughs> when I say, you don't seem to know, or you don't seem to know, I seem to care. You're like, you know what I mean? Like you, you still soften everything, but it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? You soften it by about maybe 30% and that's enough for it to come through, but you still have that sense of melody to it. And that's always been something that I've tried to lean into and find that nice balance where it is just, it's there, but it's not slapping you around the face. Like, you know, like the chats yeah. or <laughs> something like that, where it's just too, it's, you know, it would never connect with someone outside of your own audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah. Hmm. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting one because like, the Australian accent has just such flat vowels. So, like, yeah, you do have to, like, boost it. But, yeah, it's, I, yeah, it still feels like a bit of a, like, I do get a kick out of hearing that accent come yeah. through. Yeah, oh, 100%. Because, um, yeah, it's just like, oh, this, especially, like, 
for me, like I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like country town, um, <laughs> emo kid. So like, there's just so much sort of Americana being borrowed mm. and put into that scene. Like, it's nice mm. to have the reciprocal thing now of like, no, like there's a scene over here. Like it's thriving. We're doing yeah. just fine. That mm. kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's just lovely. I love it so much. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like it's like, it had like its earlier bands, like, as you said, the getaway plan and like, like in, in sort of different scene, but in sort of, the same sort of vein like you know your bands like prom queen and parkway and yeah. that sort of stuff but like just like the 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 later bands as well i don't really know where i'm going with that but that's it's, okay yeah <laughs> we can I, bring this back you, you, you <laughs> did mention you did mention the getaway plan and if you'll indulge me i might share an anecdote mm. about the band but not like in like entirely about them okay it was a uh, school assembly at my school mm-hmm. and uh, there was like we would always have like a musical act from like one of the students would perform and this month a kid decided to do strings by the getaway plan and look they they gave it their yeah. all they really tried <laughs> but it was it was not good and because because growing up in victoria and like like in like down on the morning peninsula like we weren't that far removed from where the getaway plan were but i yeah. think they were in like they were in like Moravin or somewhere. They were pretty close to where we grew up. And I could just hear like three rows behind me, some kid just screaming, I'm going to tell Matt about this on, on MySpace. I'm going to tell Matt on MySpace and someone's butchered his song. Oh, my God. It's so like, speaking of covers, yes, this feels horrible to say, but one of my favourite things is uh, when Japanese school bands cover yeah. our songs oh, they're like so awesome. it's it's the most sweet beautiful thing because you know the, the english comprehension isn't necessarily there so a lot of it's like not you know what i mean they've got the phonetics but don't actually you know what i mean like it's it's yeah. the phonetics are there but not the pronunciation or the the melody to so it just it and you know being like a school band they you know, have always got like kind of borrowed or hide or basic instruments and like yeah. it's always a little bit clunky but it's just such a <laughs> such a lovely thing to think that wow isn't that cool that as part of someone's like formative musical experience they've chosen to cover one of our songs in front of someone like it's such a a cool thing it's not it's not even like a bedroom thing like you know because people you know there's covers everywhere of different songs of people just kind of playing a guitar cover in their bedroom and you know those get better and better quality all the time because of what you can do in a bedroom audio wise now but like when you see someone like actually performing it in that sort of context and of all the songs in the world, they've chosen yours. And regardless of how well they do or don't do it, like, and when I say Japanese, like, I mean, I'm referring to a specific one that I remember watching recently, but I mean, there's, you know, Indonesian or Singaporean or Filipino bands that have been with that as well. And that's always been just such a cool thing just to see like across these language barriers, just that we're reaching into those places where we've never been. Um, We've been to Singapore, but that was, uh, (laughs) that, yeah, that was a long time ago. And, yeah anyway <laughs> but yeah yeah it's just such a cool cool thing yeah yeah we were having a similar conversation just in one of our last episodes because every now and then we look at um the japanese editions of the punk go series and so mm. something to do with like trade so it's the same album there was the last song mm. was nookie yeah by limp biscuit <laughs> on the same it was punk goes 90s volume two but it was the japanese edition and i think it is because there is that barrier in comprehension or like yeah. 
there's they always approach covers in such an interesting way like there's just something about them Mm. that feels I don't even know quite how to pinpoint it but it's just super creative because they're looking at it yeah with maybe like more of a distance between like the original experience of listening to Nookie yeah versus what they're doing with it now that kind of thing and also like we take the sorry yeah no, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say we take we take the cultural experience of the music we listen to for granted so easily. So yeah. exactly, yeah. it's so interesting to see how it goes beyond barriers and uh, yeah, yeah, beyond language and things like that, and how you know just even just the stuff like how how the music industry works there versus you know for us it's yeah. it's such a different different animal. So there's so many barriers for it to cross, and the fact that it's gotten there is amazing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what were you saying? Sorry, Zoom's oh, no, just, uh, great for interruptions. No, <laughs> that's all good. Uh, no, I was just going to say, and also, like, because a lot of the Japanese ones, it seems to be, like, band, uh, bands where it's, like, sort of rap lyrics as well. So I'm I'm wondering whether, like, the, the lead singer, maybe whether they know English or, like, have a partial understanding of English or whether it's just kind of, like, if I was to sing to a Rammstein song, knowing no German yeah. and just, like, going kind of sounds like this is what they're saying so i'll just say that yeah yeah but like they just like the nookie one they just they performed it with like almost such urgency like oh crap i don't want anyone to realize we're playing limp biscuit so let's just do it as fast as possible (laughs) and it turned out to be amazing anyway so so good (laughs) Mm. interesting point to note just touching on the uh, earlier conversation about german uh you're talking about du hast earlier yeah Yeah. Uh, like one thing that when i you know learned German enough to actually grapple with it because it was kind of after, well after the song had come out. But uh, the one thing I think people don't necessarily realize is the actual, like, you know, du hast, du hast mich, du hast yep. mich gefragt. Like, there's a lot of interplay on the difference between du hast, as in you have me, yep. um, and you du hast, where there's a double S, yep. which is you hate me. Mm. And so yeah. the interplay there with the way, and, you know, du hast mich gefragt means you ask me, um, what was it? Uh, du hast mich gefragt und ich habe nichts gesagt. It's like, you asked me and I said nothing. Like, yeah. it's such a, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, just yeah. the way that it interplays there is, in, is always interesting from a, from a language standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Like, even listening to um, Liz Sorensen's original of this song, like, I just love how different languages, they still have the rhyming scheme there. Yeah. But it's just mm. entirely different. But then mm. the way it still sort of roughly means the same thing because then it translated to... We're gonna have to go back after this com- oh, after this chat and uh, go just re-listen to that because I think I've heard it in the past, but yeah, gonna have to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> it is on Spotify, so that's a plus. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it's and I think like that, like this morning listening to just all the iterations like back to back, like it's just incredible to see how they all sort of come back around to each other because like Liz Sorensen's one is like sort of kind of pop centric mm. i think and then like edna swap it goes into like very 90s sort of grungy grunge like, girl. Yeah. smoky lounge yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible and then really like, dark Nat- chords and yeah yeah and then like natalie's one it sort of plays more on what Lee did with her original one yeah but like boosts the pop elements and then like you guys mm. you keep those key elements but then obviously give it the hands like how's this treatment yeah and then, like, neck deep, mm. it's sort of, like, the other side of the same coin almost. Mm. Like, they yeah. give it a similar treatment, but obviously for them, 
like because they have a different lived experience of the song they pick out different bits that they want mm. to keep and other ones that they replace with their own and like it's just yours is mm. better though yeah, Shh, I hate that conversation. It's funny though, actually, when you mentioned that, because uh, when Neck Deep did theirs, um, we noticed quite a significant spike in streams for ours, and it's kind of maintained it since. So it was really interesting to see how that actually, because you know whether we were ranking higher on Google or YouTube um, yeah. for num, sorry, not, uh, num, uh, torn cover. Um, yeah. Just seeing that come up was yeah, really interesting. Um, just to see how how many people engage with and like, Oh, this isn't as good or this is better. Or, um, I mean, you know, mainly cause I see it through the context of our own tags. Generally, I think that's probably in, in presenting an inherent bias that people that are <laughs> tagging us have a, have a preference to ours. And I probably haven't seen the conversations to <laughs> haven't seen the conversations where people feel the other way, but, uh, you know, neck deeper rad guys, like we've done a couple of, uh, you know, warp tours and festivals yeah, with yeah. them over the years. And like, you know, um, it's a, it's a great song. We could never begrudge anyone from our bubble from having a go at that song, and I think they did a great job. But like, it's, it honestly sounds great, and uh, you know, I love what they yeah. do. So, um, there's no hard feelings there. But uh, it is cool just kind of seeing those two similar but you know tangentially different interpretations within you know I guess that wider punk rock metal perspective. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. If, if you if you're in the same room with them in the next uh, couple of years mm-hmm. or so or if you're chatting with any of them, do me a favour and ask them what that was like being on the tour with Blink and Lil Wayne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were the opening act. Man. And that would have been, that just would have been some fly on the wall. Like I genuinely weird. forget that that ever happened. Like, everything <laughs> just feels slightly surreal these days. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Well, also, Lil Wayne tried to quit and then <laughs> didn't. So. Oh man! Well, we've been uh, crossing full circle a few times, but interestingly enough, the uh, studio where we shot the video for Torn yep. um, is actually a practice space that uh, what was it? Sound Control, I think it's called in um, Anaheim, in California. Yep. Uh, which is actually one. Uh, it's no longer there apparently. I think the uh, building got sold, but that used to be um, where like uh, Avenged Sevenfold was actually um, mm. doing some tour prep the days mm. before we got there. Um, but yeah, that was the blink, one of blinks main, uh, practice rooms for when they went out. So in that big room at that studio, so they had a bunch of small rooms where we would often go before tour just to do, make sure all our shit's all working after it's been through LAX, which I'd love to say it's a 50, 50, but it's definitely not as good. Not that good. Um, I've always had things just, just. Uh, like you know just circuit boards where like the ribbon connectors have popped off inside one of our bits of gear so you never know which one it is so we got and then cables that get broken because lids fall off or they don't put them back on properly and then things get dragged across on all the knobs so all the knobs are snapped off and all that sort of stuff so we always had to have practice time like a couple of days of you know tour prep before we do any shows over there um but yeah um, that that studio blink would often practice there and um we've been kind of in and out over the years and yeah often they'd be a few days before us or after us um i think around the time that we did torn um i think we had a couple of practice days either side of recording the video where we had the big room but we just had one of the small rooms and circus survivors across the hall from us and price had come through just done some stuff previously so it was really cool just again that you know talking about made it moments earlier like you know just being in the same space and as some of those bands that you know we've looked up to at different times in our careers and um yeah it was pretty cool so oh my god that's amazing like i i have missed out on seeing a lot of people but i one of the ones that i'm really very happy that we've seen is Blink in yeah. their last stages with Tom. 
Yeah, before they all like made it obvious that they hated each other. But, yeah, um, yeah, that was that was just amazing. That's <laughs> like, yeah, that is a true made it moment. Yeah, I think yeah, high fiving Mark mm. was like the highlight of my life, and I'm fine. Yeah, like I can just tank from there. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like just to pull the conversation back down and possibly towards a close, we're aware that it's a Sunday, Sunday and you have afternoon. shit to yeah. do that isn't talking to two dickheads <laughs> in right. Melbourne. Um, how have you guys been tracking the last year plus with COVID? Like, how's that affected your routine? Like, what kind of, yeah, how have you sort Honestly, of... Honestly, yeah. You go, sorry. It's I was... been a blessing in... Uh, <laughs> no, that's all right. No, just the old Zoom delay, you just kind of start answering something and... Uh, no, yeah. all good. Um. For us, it's been a kind of a blessing in disguise in that for us, uh, A, we were eligible for JobKeeper as a business, which um, was a huge help for us, especially on the back of download and a few things getting cancelled early on. We were supposed to have to do a headline tour in July last year that was yeah. going to be, you know, a pretty hefty chunk of change into the back into the pocket to kind of make last for a little while while we're off off tour internationally. I think we're always intending on taking a, an indefinite break from international touring around this sort of time anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, we're all getting older, we're all, you know, getting into the rest of our lives, so to speak. Yeah. And so yeah. um, the chance to kind of, you know, I guess, settle into our day-to-day normality, um, yeah. you know, uh, got a kid on the way in November. So, you know, that, oh, that in itself, just having the, yeah, very excited. Yeah. Um, but just the, the ability to kind of see the band as like a, almost go back to being a hobby again. Um, yeah. I, you know, we've certainly got to work through our own kind of internal challenges and processes and creative drive, I think, but just to be able to kind of get to know ourselves outside of the band through that context has been great. I mean, we're lucky that we had the EP up our sleeves when yeah. lockdown hit. So we were kind of, we had a lot more time to actually really lock into the strategy of how we would go about releasing that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so the, the wins we had through the sport and like through the NRL with, um, and the AFL with the, the final series and things like that, like some of that stuff, we may not have been in position to do the promo yeah. material that went into that, the work with Triple M Radio, the work with, um, you know, uh, the the Fox crew um, for those was, you know, really cool opportunity and one that if we were touring heavily may not have had the same opportunity to yeah. engage with. Yeah. Um, but for me in particular, it was a chance to really kind of spend, I spent the first half of last year, about six months from like March through October, just really trying really hard to connect, not just with our, you know, we set up a Patreon and kind of the, the little community that built up around that. We've had to pause that indefinitely as well, just because I kind of burnt myself out a bit, but um, yeah. the chance to actually really kind of engage with our fans, what they connected with about our music, what they didn't connect with, with our newer stuff and how to kind of bridge that gap and kind of, build that journey out that was a really cool opportunity to understand a bit better about I guess the the meta narrative of what we are and what we do and how that connects with people and what we you know how we can kind of create a new I guess business model without getting too wanky about it but like (laughs) kind of grapple grapple with what's important to us about this band like what's what makes it worth still doing and for us you know shows are a big part of that um, which is obviously frustrating with present circumstances. But um, I think for us to kind of lean back into the writing and kind of explore different avenues and different aspects. And we've got a bit of a, a plan kind of formulated for how we're going to go forwards. Um, but I think with, you know, with family now um, for a couple of us and 
um, you know, work commitments and I'm starting a new career, you know, with a new job next month, which is really exciting, but just things that weren't necessarily possible when we were in and out every few months, it's just, you know, that was never going to be sustainable in the long term. And I think for us, we're, we're one of those bands that has like fans everywhere, but not necessarily enough to go everywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of at that, that like interesting middle ground where we're not like, you know, we're certainly a long way from being the biggest band in our scene, let alone in the broader scale of the world. But, um, you know, to, how, how do we kind of build on that? So just being able to kind of focus more on music, I think is going to be a good thing going forward. And, and I think kind of get it, you know, engage ourselves with that in a way that's not counterproductive for the rest of life because i think you know if we were trying to balance life and band with the band still being a full-time commitment it just would have been really hard to give 100 percent to both so yeah we've been lucky with that but at the same time you know it's come with its you know cancellations and postponements like we've pulled out of shows early like for example slam dunk in the u.s it's like something in the u.s in the uk um we we bailed on that pretty early and they were a bit grumpy about that but we're like look sorry we like we can't see the situation here changing anytime soon and we don't want our fans going out and buying tickets and making plans around something that we can't be necessarily be a part of yeah um if they're coming just for us and so we had to be upfront with our fans directly and so we had people messaging us like hey you guys still gonna be playing slam dunk and said honestly at this point probably not yeah Mm -hmm. um and someone posted a screen cap of that in the comments and then slam dunk got a bit grumpy about that and had to go to our agent in in europe and uh we just sent a message saying, look, we, we understand where you guys are at and we don't begrudge you the the challenges you're going through, but yeah. we just have to do the right thing by ourselves and our fans and just, you know, be upfront about it that we probably can't leave Australia yeah. even if we wanted to for a while. And, you know, I think that's going to be the case for a while. So, you know, even with full tilt getting pushed back again yeah. from Brisbane, um, you know, the last few days for us, um, as we speak now, obviously, you know, but uh, yeah, like getting the full tilts all kind of pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, you know, that, that, that does have a direct impact on our back pocket, so to speak, because, you know, festival yeah. guarantees are a, a big part of our ongoing income stream. Yeah, so exactly. it's, um, yeah, it makes it a challenge. But I, like I said, I think it just gives us the opportunity to really kind of focus on what's important to us and just how we engage with that going forward. Yeah. And I don't want to like slam on promoters in general, but I remember the, um, went download mm. over here, got cancelled, and they tried to mm. pin it on My Chemical Romance pulling out. It was like, yeah. they wouldn't have been able to make it anyway. They would have had to quarantine for two weeks mm. and would have had to put it off. Yeah. Well, I think I think My Chem bailed because I think they saw the writing on the wall. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Same as and, and the, but then everything lockdowns. But it's funny, actually. I was I was uh, working an internship in Sydney CBD at the time when lockdown first came around, and um, yeah we just gotten the news that it was officially cancelled and I looked out the window of the office where I was working. I was a couple of stories up and I could see that the, those council workers downstairs starting to pull down the posters that were slapped up on every light post. And I was like, uh, can I peace out for 15 minutes? I got to go grab one of those. Cause uh, you know, they were the posters that had like, you know, uh, my chemical romance, Jimmy Eat world hands like houses. Like that was the three on the poster. I was like, I have to get me one of those. <laughs> so I ran downstairs, ran ahead of the council worker, grabbed one off the post, rolled it up, put it in my bag, brought it home. It's still sitting under my bed in my little memorabilia drawer. Get that. Frame. And, uh, what yeah, so what could have been. So, but, uh, we're hoping that, you know, obviously, once everything looks a bit more stable, you know, once yeah. my camp, if you know this, slate to my chem tour slide for next year, um, mm-hmm. we're quietly hopeful that you know download falling through puts us in a good position has with Live Nation that 
you know, we'll be in a, at least in a spot to pitch for that. But obviously there's a lot of things that could come. So it would be a great tool for us to do. We'd love to do it, but, um, well, we would see you in Melbourne because we have tickets. Come what may. <laughs> Come what may. Yes. Well, if that happens, please tell them I love them so much. Um, uh, yeah, sure. I, You've met them and told them. I know, but I always forget that happened because I was just like, oh. um, but yeah, that would be for me that like you guys have well and truly made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, like you said, like this period this indefinite period of time mm. has been kind of cooked is there anything that you want to plug on this podcast is there anything that um we as fans can step in and check out and sling some cash towards or um i mean we just put up a handful of new uh uh what was it like active wear i saw that uh, on I'm our so merch store um and i just uh just yeah, the uh, merch fan guy sent me a little bit of code that I've just popped on our website. Uh, website needs a rework again, but um, yeah. we're able to kind of include that. And uh, yeah, we've had a few of our you know core fans kind yeah. of who've gotten on that early, and apparently, like we put a lot of energy into that that uh, I don't know range, I guess, yeah. to make sure that it was this is stuff that was genuinely usable. Like because often with merch, like you'll order something and it kind of comes through and you know, you take it and go work the gym for a few hours and then suddenly it's pulling at the seams or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's gotten the tick of approval from a couple of our, from our, uh, you know, core community. So nice. uh, yeah, really. So if you want to go check that out, go for it. Otherwise just, you know, keep in touch. We know we're planning on hopefully getting some stuff together to put out some music in the next six, sometime at the end of this year. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> with, with baby on the way, there's, uh, a lot of flex and things to happen in the meantime and just see how that plays out. But yeah, just keep in touch with what we're doing and uh, yeah, nothing specific to plug beyond that, but uh, yeah, just keep in touch and we'll see, we'll see what the future looks like. With baby on the way, can we expect some baby merch? down the line ah, little look it's it's a conversation that's definitely happened but uh, i think we're focusing <laughs> primarily on music because if you don't have music then you know the, me- the merch becomes a little less desirable but uh <laughs> i must like i must admit i'm a sucker for good merch like yeah immediately once i mm. get into an artist i'm just like artist name merch and just see yeah like yeah it's, so yeah but, i say no, merch, merch isn't quite the machine it used to be no, um yeah. i think just no. um you know, you get little spikes around lockdown because people are just at home killing yeah. time. So it's usually a good time to put up like, hey, we've got this out. And people are like, oh, well, I've got nothing better to, you know, I'm not, yeah. I can't go out to the pub this Friday night. So that's 50 bucks I can spend on merch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want to feel alive for a moment. So I'm going to buy something. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's certainly that. But uh, yeah, it's it's just the, the cool thing about it all is that people have, it's it's the whole process has actually really normalized a lot of things that artists struggle like i mean the concept of playing for like paying for a live stream gig yeah. 18 months ago would have been just such a tough push yeah. tough yeah. sell to to art like to fans as well as artists for the amount of energy that goes in but yeah um the things like that you know the the acceptance and the engagement with you know things like patreon and like closed communities as part of a fan base building thing like it's a lot of work and you know admittedly one that i kind of found my found that there was the way that I wanted to do it was more work than I really had time for in the long run but just the just the normalization of things like that and even the way that you know things like twitch and um (laughs) even to a another degree things like you know the the advent of platforms like OnlyFans, like that kind of normalize that direct (laughs) yeah you know that that essentially that direct support like you know d2c is what we kind of call it internally but like you know direct consumer like that sort of you know financial relationship that people have with 
content creators, which, you know, as much as music industry hates called referring to itself as content creators, we do fall in that same absolutely attention flow for people when we, you know, we're scrolling through social media, we are consuming content. Music's part of that experience. So it's, you know, we can't entirely separate ourselves from the way that people consume media period. And we're part of that bubble. So um, I think I, I love what it's normalized and I hope that, you know, once everything goes back to normal in inverted commas, you know, I hope that there's still the value proposition for those things. And I think for us, like, you know, once we kind of get music back together, I'd love to do a few live stream shows. You know, we've got, we're two years off, like a 10 year anniversary for Unimagine, which actually turned eight the other day, which I completely oh, missed. And we haven't posted anything about, but Unimagine turned eight. Um, so yeah, like, be, but we'd love to do some, you know, some live stream stuff. And I, th- I love that that's become a normal thing now. And there's been some yeah. incredible streams going around like Beartooth's one a couple of weeks ago was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, just the sound quality and the, the visual and uh, all the stuff that goes into that. There's, there's the value proposition there, which is exciting as a musician because you get pretty locked into feeling like, Oh, we've got Spotify and social media. What else? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah like I tuned into mm. one of the Jimmy Eat World ones, like the Phoenix sessions they did a couple of months ago. And I love it because it gives them like the concept of doing a live stream. Like it doesn't just have to be like four or five dudes in a room, like playing instruments. Like you can play around a lot with like stage setup and like the optics of it, like the same way you would with a live show. Like you can mm. take that idea and run with it as far as like your imagination slash budget mm. allows for. So yeah, sure. you get some really incredible stuff out of it, like stunning visuals on top of mm. obviously the music that you paid to listen to. But even like my yeah. favorite band, the Black Dahlia Murder, did one, and it was like they also told a story in between yeah. the songs, and like even mm. showing bits of like, oh, this is how we set this scene up, and yeah. that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, there's there can be more of like an almost like movie element to it, yeah, as well, mm. yeah, uh-huh. for sure. I think one th- uh, just maybe maybe as a closing note yes. of wisdom or experience, but uh, one thing I've always found creatively is that limitations are always more creative than possibilities. Yes, um, because it's the way you work around them that creates the narrative, and so I think you know, the limitations we're all facing without the ability to just kind of mass produce live performances through tour or whatever. It's yeah. meant that the music industry has had to take a good hard look at itself about like, what is the value proposition here? And, you know, what are the limitations that we have and how do we engage? Like, you know, it's, it's not about thinking outside the box as much as it is. How can we fill every inch of this box? Yeah. No yeah. What, how big it is. And, you know, you know, having a, you know, a couple of hundred core fans could be more profitable than spending a month on tour and overseas. Like it, it it's just yeah. the truth of the way that we engage with things. So it's like, what you, what can you, it doesn't matter how big your box is, what can you fit in it? And that, that becomes the conversation, which I think will be a good thing going forward. So. Um, Absolutely. Mm. That's amazing. Well, yeah. I think on that note, that's a perfect way to leave off and we'll <laughs> get on with your Sunday. That's all right. But a huge, massive thank you. Yeah. Thank you well. so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. Torn is genuinely, genuinely top for me so it's been an absolute pleasure to be able to peek behind the curtain it's a hell yeah from me yes and i'm assuming for you yes (laughs) and look i'm biased but hell yeah (laughs) Yeah. beautiful you're allowed to give your your own version of hell yeah 